And those are 10 things I hate about this movie. Back to you in the studio. And we're out. Wow, Mr. Shallot, that was amazing and surprisingly graphic. You're goddamn right it was. I have to say, my wife and I are big fans of yours. It's, it's, it's like you were born to do this. Well, young man, in a way I was. You see, exactly 400 years ago, in merry old England... Hear ye, hear ye. Before thou procureth a babysitter and risketh catching the plague simply to enjoy an evening of merriment at yon globe, I, Lord Eugene of Shallaton, have deemed some productions more worthy of your hard-earned ducats than others. Don't kill the messenger, or even shake a spear at him, holdeth for laughter. But rather, heed my sage advice, and you'll never goeth wrong. Lord Eugene! Lord Eugene! What did you think of Romeo and Juliet? I had one thing in common with those star-crossed losers. I also wanted to kill myself twice. If a rose by any other name still smells as sweet, what do you think a pile of shit called Romeo and Juliet smells like? Exactly. I really wanted Romeo to climb all the way up Juliet's balcony, no pun intended, not because I'm romantic, but just so I could throw them both the fuck off of it. These are not the most nuanced assessments, my lord. If Julius Caesar, he sure doesn't please her. How can the old geezer? He's just here to tease her. In fact, you might call him fooling us, Caesar. That maketh no sense, my liege. Much ado about nothing, that writes itself. As you like it, as I hate it, boom, done. King John made me have to use a toilet, fine, next. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, what's with all the sequels these days? Henry V, Richard III... Audience, zero. Holdeth for applause. This Shakespeare guy's clearly more bored than bard. Now he's making sequels within sequels. Henry VI, Part 3, Act 2, Scene 1. That's like a fucking turducken. And don't get me started on A Midsummer Night's Dream. A bunch of fairies looking for ass in the woods. Insert gay panic punchline here. Finish off with Go Puck Yourself, Big Willie Style. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. Welcome to episode 44 of Opening Weekend. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am joined, as always, by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And this week, we are traveling back to an opening weekend I recall very clearly and very fondly. March 31st, 1999, the premiere of the then Wachowski Brothers game-changing science fiction fantasy film The Matrix, as well as Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles in The Taming of the Shrew update, 10 Things I Hate About You. Now, since 10 Things is technically a Shakespeare adaptation. We thought this week was a perfect time to welcome our special guest and Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival board member slash auction winner Patricia King onto the show to chat about Shakespeare on film and to join us in listing our top five favorite Shakespeare film adaptations. Uh, again, to give a little quick background, Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival, it's a beautiful outdoor theater in Garrison, New York, where I've had the pleasure of performing for 10 of the past 13 summers. 
And Dan has also performed there, starring in All's Well That Ends Well and King Lear alongside me in 2013. Uh, Fred always likes to say that he has not been hired there and is available, but no, he's not. He's been on Broadway with The Lion King pretty much since I started working professionally, much less for Hudson Valley. So do not cry for him, Argentina. And Thanks for bringing up the elephant in the room. Jason. It's not. You just, you're, oh, you're always like, oh, you, they never hired me. Yet you're a working actor. That's why. <laughs> Uh, anyway, every year the Shakespeare Festival hosts a gala at which various items and events are auctioned off as a fundraiser. This year, the festival asked if the three of us would be willing to offer up a chance to be a guest on an episode of Opening Weekend, and we were delighted to oblige. So I've known Pat for years and uh, was thrilled to hear that hers was the winning bid, uh, and I thought it made perfect sense to have her on to discuss Shakespeare on film, since Shakespeare is the reason we know each other and why she... Uh, has the opportunity to chat with us today. So let's see, Fred and Dan, we will uh, introduce Pat uh, to everyone in just a little bit after we discuss 10 Things I Hate About You. But first, where were you guys, if you can recall, in late, late March of 1999? I think I was doing a lot of music at this time. I was living down on the Lower East Side and I was playing with uh, the band Zip Thunk. Oh, yeah. And at, at this point, Point, I believe that was a fun band. That was myself and Steve Lavner and Jeff Gurner. Would you like to um, tell people the origin of the name of the band? <laughs> well, no, I like to keep it sort of a, I like to keep it a, a, a mystery, a mystery oh, really? and I like oh. to keep the mystique behind it. But it's, I'll put it this way it's, a, it's oh, an automatopoeia. I... <laughs> Zip thunk. <laughs> yeah, all right. I guess that, I guess that does it. I remember you got a great review in the Village Voice. That's we a, did along. Yes, it's a oh, Lisa Jackson Girl Friday opening. Zip thunk. Who? That's right. That was the review. One word <laughs> no. review. Who? I swear to God. Shit sandwich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you can't butter. write that. That's not. Just no. Real. It doesn't say that. You're absolutely right, Dan. That, that was our that. first mention in print in the Village wow. Voice. Yeah, zip thunk. Who? That was great times. That was playing at the Lions Den. But oh, at that yeah. point, we were, we were sort of going back and forth because it started. Well, th- we we became as as one uh, one interview that we did years later called us the mysteriously monikered Zip Thunk. Ah. I remember when we chose the name because Steve and I used to play guitar on the subway on the platform. We would busk. We were buskers. And I remember that too. Yeah, this was uh, right. a year or so earlier than this, but we would play over the summer and we'd always go down to 14th Street, the N and the R Uptown platform. <laughs> and uh, and it was great. We had a blast. But I remember someone once was came up to us and was like, you guys are great. What's your name? And I just said, Zip Thunk, because I thought it would make us laugh. And it just stuck. And then when we started to actually record and play, we're like, well, that's that's our name. And we had an exclamation point at the end. We were very emphatic about it's Zip Thunk with the exclamation point. <laughs> right. right. Like you Oklahoma. Know. Yeah. Exactly. And no one ever got it right. We would always, whenever we'd book ourselves at gigs, we would always say that. And the ex- and they never put it. No. They, it was very rare when we saw it. Sometimes they'd put a hyphen. They'd make it two words. They never got it right. And we're like, it's so simple. It's Zip Thunk. Zip Thunk. <laughs> What's so difficult about that, people? Uh, we, I, I think around this time, we, we had a drummer. Because I ended up, as you know, I, I ended up playing drums and singing in Zip Thunk, very a la Night Ranger, or nice. Phil Collins. But I think at this time we had another guy, this guy, Kevin Hudson was his name, who was a friend of Steve's. And uh, we rehearsed with him a few times. And 
he ended up leaving the band because as, as he said, what was his, he didn't, he didn't get the music. And uh, I think he said, I understand this song. Like I understand my ass. That was the actual line. And, now that's a review. Now that's yeah. a review. And then it culminated. And then God, now I'm remembering this. This brings back, uh, this brings back good memories. And then, <laughs> Steve and Jeff and I were all arguing about what to do. Like, what should we do? And they kept saying, so he was like, Fred, just play the drums. Cause I really wanted to play a, I really wanted to play guitar. Yeah. You wanted so to be was, the front man. I remember yeah. that. Or one of the front men and yeah. be sort of in the front and playing guitar, singing, you know. Yeah. Online. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to be, I wanted to play acoustic. Steve would play electric. Yeah. So I was like, no, 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 I want to play guitar. They're like, Fred, just play the drums. I was like, no, I want to play guitar. I want to. And finally Steve just went, Fred, you suck at guitar. Ooh. Play the drums. To this day, he's like, no, I didn't say that. I said, yeah, you did. He was right. He was right. I did oh, suck wow. at guitar. And <laughs> as soon as I switched to the drums, they were like, yep. And that makes sense. So, uh -huh. so we, we became a trio and I stuck on the drums. And It's your best yeah. destiny, Fred Berman. You, you, you know, you, you, uh, uh, you tried something new. You failed. At it miserably. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I I do remember that. I remember you going, yeah, but I've always, you know, you just you just wanted to to you wanted to do, do a different thing. Where were you, Danny? I remember. I re very fondly remember seeing you at the coffee pot and the lines then and Mercury and CBGB. I mean, all those great um those great venues uh, throughout yeah. the city. The image I have of you watching us at the coffee pot was Halloween. It was right before I met Kate there and oh. you were dressed as a dog. You came you had <laughs> dog ears. And it, yeah, you came with you and Jamie and, uh, and, and Dennis. And that's when I first met Anna Stone. I think you brought like all your friends oh. from, from grad oh. school, but you oh. were dressed as a cute little puppy. Well, that, I have no recollection of being dressed as a puppy, but that makes all sense. I love dogs. But that's so funny because <laughs> Jamie and Dennis were living in Hell's Kitchen, like yeah. right down the street from the coffee pot. So I probably stayed over there and we probably just went, you know, just walked over to the coffee pot. So this must have been around the time that I was getting ready. I, I think this was my first equity gig, which was the Winter's Tale down at a place called American Stage down right. in Florida. Uh, and this was, I had my red firebird. You guys remember my red firebird? Yeah, of course. Yeah, co covered had, with Mexi melt wrappers. That's right. Yeah. All, constantly covered with, with melted cheese and Mexi melt wrappers <laughs> and ground beef because of all of the, uh, the, the taco bell that we would eat in that car. Oh, Thank salivating. God I had the T-tops because of all the farting that happened. <laughs> needed that airflow in there. But the problem was that with that car, the T-tops leaked. So whenever it rained, you know, it, right. then the car would, that would get rid of the Mexi melt smell because the car would smell like just um, wet, <laughs> wet seats. <laughs> and, and towels. Wet Dan. Wet. Yeah, wet Dan, <laughs> like, which is the same as wet dog. And so which you were dressed as when you saw Fred at the coffee pot. It all, it now all comes it all comes together. full circle. Good night, America. <laughs> Next week on the opening weekend podcast. The singularity. Oh, it's <laughs> Mr. <us>. Anderson. <laughs> the, uh, that car died on that trip. It had made all these trips back and forth to Florida when I was in when I was in grad school. But on this trip, it went down and did not come back. I know. What a great car. Red Pontiac Firebird. It did not have the big fiery eagle on the hood. God, I it did not rise it did. like the Phoenix from the ashes. <laughs> it did not thank you know, it, it was it was it was dead when it was dead. I, w I wish that it had risen like the Phoenix because it was an awesome car. I had an accident with it on one of the trips out to Hofstra when I was in college. And I had an accident coming off the Verrazano Bridge. I hit somebody. I rear-ended somebody. And then a, 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 
and then a uh, uh, a car full of nuns rear-ended me in the back. So I got hit. So it was the first, the, <laughs> you got to be no. kidding me. I'm not That's a kid- bit from all I'm, I'm a family. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. It was coming off the Verrazano Bridge. I was like, I looked to my right to change lanes. And then I looked back and it was like, boom. And then, boom, somebody hit me from the back. I was like, oh, those are nuns. So, you know, Jesus was with was me. Was Imogene even Coco one of, the, one of the nuns? <laughs> I feel like Dom DeLuise would be there somewhere. Like that's, that's, that's out of, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Yeah. Don Rickles was there, you know, but, but no, that, so, so that was why my car, oddly enough, that was why that car looked so cool. Cause it was an 86, right? When I went into, I had a toad to wherever and they were like, well, we don't have an 86 nose, but we have a 92 or a 91. And my dad was like, yeah, put that on there. And then it looked like a newer car from that moment oh, wow. on because it had like a 91, you know, nose piece, what they call the nose yeah. piece, which is sort of that front piece. But the front was all crumpled in um, after the accident. Anyway, long story short, drove it down to Florida. It died. It would only go in reverse down there <laughs> once I got it down there about halfway through the contract. That's perfect. You could have, then you could have come home that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just back it up, 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 uh, up 95 all the way. <laughs> Um, and then literally like a couple of months later, I move into the city. Finally, finally at long last, I come back from this gig and it's time to move into the city with those two guys, Jamie and Dennis. We move into Astoria, the party house. I know exactly where I was March 31st, 1999. I was watching the matrix (gasps) on opening night in times square at the old, the Astor theater, that really gigantic, gigantic theater in times square. And you know who I was seeing it with? Keanu Reeves. Close. Lawrence Fishburne. What the what? The, who's Fishburne a Morpheus what? Bought Stop the tickets. It. We sat and watched the movie together. Me, him, and many of the cast and crew of The Lion in Winter, which he was doing at the roundabout, and which my girlfriend at the time, right. Kathy Klein, was a dresser for. She was dressing Emily Burgle, and uh, Stockard Channing was also in the show, and obviously Lawrence Fishburne, he played uh, King Henry in that and he was the nicest man. And wow. we had become quite friendly. Like I would go, you know, I'd drop Kathy off at work or I'd come pick her up at night or I'd hang out sometimes. And he was so kind. I hung out with him so many times in his dressing room. He had like set up his dressing me? room so nicely. He had incense burning and all these great like scarves and things hanging up. He was a very cool man. And he he was very into um he's very into comics and uh, superheroes oh, and comics. And, and we, we kind of bonded over that. And he suggested some things for me to read. And I let him borrow. He had never read kingdom come that DC uh, yeah. series, oh and which I, I, I kept talking to him about the art and that. And he was like, well, I don't know this guy. I don't know this guy, Alex Ross, this artist. I was like, uh, you introduced Alex Ross to Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and then, and he read it and he was like, that's cool, man. It's cool. And we, we sat and we would talk about stuff. And then we would talk about acting and he would ask me what I was doing. And he was very, he was such a kind, kind, kind man. I mean, everybody over there was. I, there were a lot of people I met through when Kathy worked at the Roundabout that were really wonderful to me as somebody like kind of starting, you know, in the business and kind of feeling very timid and shy about, you know, like hopeful that I would get to work in New York proper someday. And, <laughs> and he but he was so nice. And yeah, he was like, well, I'm going I'm to take, you know, my movies open. It was really weird because the movie opened the same night. Or like the, the night before the play opened, oh. something crazy like that. It was like like the Thursday midnight show of Matrix 
was after their final preview. And I think that I think Lion and Winter was literally opening on the following day or oh something my God. like so that. So he had just done a performance. Oh, basically. yeah. They had just they had just oh done a performance and everybody God. like took off their makeup and, and went across the literally across the street oh, to wow. see the midnight show. And we all sat that in a row. And he was like cool. two seats down from me. And it was the craziest. It's one of those mo- it, one of the most memorable opening nights, not just because. It's like Lawrence Fishburne brought the fucking ticket. He's sitting right next to me. It wasn't that. It was the response of the audience because it was like they'd was never seen changer. anything like it before. Wow. And that moment, I can remember that moment when it, and it, which just comes like three minutes into the movie. We're going to, we're, I guess we're going to start talking about the movie soon. <laughs> we don't even need a segue, really. Segway but, not needed. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the moment when Trinity, when Carrie Ann Moss like jumps in the air for the first time and freezes yeah. and the camera spins around, nuts. The the theater, the whole theater, it was like people were tearing the fucking seats out of the theater. There were three huge guys in front of me. And they, I still remember to this day, I don't know what this means. They jumped up when she did. They were like, oh, they jumped up. And, and the three of them simultaneously said, N-W-O. And I don't know what NWO <laughs> means. I have no idea, but I can remember they, wow. they, whatever that, whatever that is, just well, an NWO. In and, the WWF context, it means New World Order. <gasps> in the I wrestling not, context, that's yeah. what it was. It had that must to be have been that. what it was. Because yeah. I still, because t- I remember it so vividly. Twenty fucking years later, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I know they said that. I know they said those three initials, but I didn't know what it meant. Well, That's what I, they did. They said I have NWO to a, and they jumped up. I guess it's because basically that I, I would assume they saw that as a game changing. Yes, that's because the New World Order was born when Hulk Hogan went from being a good guy to a bad guy. Well, that's what it was. It was like because it was like everything was flipped on its head. Yes. All of a sudden, in that moment, you yep. were like, everybody was like, oh, there's a new Star Wars movie coming out in a month. Everybody's talking about that. You're like. Star Wars isn't going to do anything like this. Like, it's like Star Wars just lost the visual effects Oscar in the first three minutes of watching The Matrix. It did. It really did. And it's, the, it's still the thing I remember best about that. that movie. But anyway, so let's talk about it because it's a, I don't know if it's a good movie, but it's a, but in terms of visual effects, well, it's, it's a, a game changer. You uh, told, uh, just told, I think one of the best stories for the for the pod from uh, from the podcast so far because I wasn't expecting that. I never knew this that you went with Larry Fishburne, yeah. Lawrence Fishburne yeah. to that, this movie. That's amazing. That's you amazing. went on a date with Lawrence Fishburne to see the Matrix. Well, you were not, the one. Not, you were the one. <laughs> no, you were his one. Yeah. You were his plus the one. Ah. No, his- I wasn't just the two of us. There were a lot of no, people Jason, there. No, Jason, come on. No, 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 no. It was the two of you. The whole what? time you're telling that story, I'm thinking, how does he do it? What can I do? I need to be more like Jason. How come Jason befriends celebrities and I scare them away? What's wrong with me? I was I was really like waiting for the secret. I was like Neo to your Morpheus. Like, teach yes. me. Teach me. I want, I want to know how to do this. Oh, Mr. Anderson, I will. I will teach you all. Oh, come into the Matrix. Had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real. What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? What is happening to me? The answer is out there, Neo. It's the question that drives us. What is the Matrix? The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. 
Thomas Anderson, played by Keanu Reeves, is a man living two lives. By day, he is an average computer programmer, and by night, a hacker known as Neo. When a beautiful stranger named Trinity, played by Carrie Ann Moss, leads Neo to a forbidding underworld, he discovers that the life he's always known is the elaborate deception of an evil cyber intelligence. The film also stars Joe Pantoliano, Gloria Foster, the great Hugo Weaving in a mesmerizing turn as the villainous Agent Smith, and the kindest man alive, Lawrence Fishburne, (laughs) in his most iconic screen role, Morpheus, the one man who can answer Neo's burning question, what is the Matrix? (laughs) A fusion of French philosophy and pop culture references with groundbreaking special effects that introduce the world to the visual concept of bullet time, which is also an accurate description of the film's firearm-fueled third act, The Matrix was a gargantuan hit, earning $27.8 million over its opening weekend, en route to a $171.5 million domestic haul, and a total worldwide box office of $466.4 million. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of The Matrix? I don't know much about what the influence... It's Wachowski is the last name of the filmmakers. The Wachowskis, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, what what they... um, uh, what their influences were, but I would, uh, because I haven't read, I haven't seen any interviews with them or anything or anything like that. I, I was a fan of the movie, but not like a big, like, Oh my God, this is a game changer. I'm a huge fan of this. I liked it for sure. And I still like it. I think it, I think it holds up, but I wonder if the Wachowskis were fans of Star Trek, because for me, everything comes back to Star Trek. <laughs> and there's a, and there's an episode from original Trek called Spectre of the gun and inspector of the gun Scott, Scotty, Kirk, Spock, and uh, Chekhov get get basically put. They go down to a planet, and the aliens sort of scan their brain, and they say, "Okay, um, for you know, it's all explained." But the, but you guys are now um, uh, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and everybody at the OK Corral. Oh yeah, I remember <laughs> okay? that one. And they or they have to fight Wyatt Earp or whatever it is. You know, they, mm-hmm, they're they're mm-hmm. they're 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 the other team of of of. Uh, gunslingers at the okay corral and they're like what the hell is this and and they're like you know well this they must have reached back into kirk's memory or something of having seen this or read about it Mm -hmm. um you know and they're they're in the gunfight and there's no avoiding it and the clock is ticking and it's like okay if you get you know none of this is real it's all fiction it's all it's all a construct but if you get shot by wyatt earp or whoever you're gonna die because mm-hmm. even though that's a fake bullet and a fake person, your brain thinks your brain can't separate the two. So you're going to die. So Spock has to mind. Spock's the only one who can order his brain enough to like know that it's fake. But mm-hmm. he's got a mm-hmm. mind meld with everybody else so that they're all on the same page. And then they fire at our heroes and the bullets go right through because mm. then that's the only reason they know. That's essentially the plot of the matrix. So, you know, that is the essence of the plot of the matrix is like, once you know, the matrix is the matrix you can do. And, and, and you ex your, you get your brain to accept it. You can do anything. You are limitless, which is why it, I think the, why it ends the way it ends with Neo basically being, you know, Superman. Yeah. being <laughs> yeah. Superman. I remember yeah. the thing I remember the first, that first image of Carrie Ann Moss in that, amazing martial arts pose yeah. and like in in the 360 degree spin that and him flying at the very end are the things that i remember most about the movie other than just like hmm. lots of guns and things blowing apart but really yeah. because i remember that in the moment he flew i was like 
they've done it. They found a way because it had been 15 years since there had been a Superman movie and people were. And in fact, the Tim Burton one that was supposed to star Nicolas Cage, that thing sputtered out and faltered. They had had like several false starts. And I was like, they're not going to it's not going to be Superman. But I was like, this is he can do anything now. Yeah, he can do anything. And he's mastered that. And this is the first time in 20 years seeing a guy fly like that on screen. I was like, oh, my God, this is the new (laughs) <laughs> the NWO, the new world order, the yes. new version, the new Superman, the new way wow. in the 1990 or in the in the new fucking century in the year 2000. This is how we're going to have a Superman on screen again. It's going to be fucking Keanu Reeves or whatever <laughs> or a whole new group of people. You know what I mean? D- able to do this because of the Matrix. That's how. Well, that was my big takeaway. That gave me a chill at the end of that movie. But but uh, which is oh, yeah. why too, and I don't remember them that well. But to me, the second one didn't work because. I mean, it was, it was a mess all over the place, but it was also, it was like, well, if this guy can do anything, then what's the problem? Like, there's (laughs) no, there's no question that he's going to come out on top because he can literally, he's, he's Jesus risen from the grave. He's Superman. He can do (laughs) anything. So I, I, again, I don't remember much about the second one, but I remember thinking that like right off the bat going, well, I hated it. I think we all went to see it. I have a memory of being really confused by it. And then I was very confusing. Yeah. I don't want to see the third one. It's turgid. I mean, it's, but it really is. It's like, so it, it doubles down on all the philosophical stuff. From what I remember, Boy. I saw it once in the theater. That's what we it don't was need. So, so, we all saw it together with Jim. I know Jim Bowden was there because he was a huge Matrix fan. fan. And he was so excited. And I remember there was like a fight on top of tr- these huge trucks, long hauler okay. trucks, like all on right, a freeway yeah. or something. That's yeah. like the most spectacular sequence, this fight. But otherwise, it gets really mired in the philosophy and the... Oof. And it's boring. It's quite... Yes. It's quite boring and very long. And... uh I remember that. Yeah, I think we all were left cold by it, except maybe Jim, who like was so excited to see it and such ah. a devotee of the Matrix yeah. <laughs> that I think he was like primed. That, but then I never saw the third one. I never. No, saw it either. was because of that movie. Yeah. I remember saying we knew that there was a third one coming out, and I remember after seeing that, being like, "Well, now I have I have no words to see the third one." You, you know what's funny is we're it's actually on the schedule for us to watch later in the year in the, the third, third one to watch the third one. Yeah. Oh, Oh, I know without watching and I'll probably have to watch the second one, even though yeah. I don't want to, to yeah. watch that one. But oh, it opened on the same weekend as Elf in 2003. And that's oh, like geez. on the schedule for like down towards the holidays. But now that's um, counter programming. I didn't see it when it first came out. And mm-hmm. I, I and as I've said before, and I don't know why I have this reaction, but when there are certain times when things get very popular, I think I mentioned this about Whoopi Goldberg and some other things here and there where I was like, ah, phooey, don't need it. Yeah. You know, and then for no logical reason. And for some reason, I was never a Keanu Reeves fan. I've come to appreciate him. Uh, but I, I just, too. yeah, I, I, I really have. But I just thought, no, I don't want to see Keanu Reeves in a movie. You know, it was, it was, it was sort of like what I was saying with Punch Drunk Love. I'm like, I'm not going to pay money to see an Adam Sandler movie. The reason I went was because it was Paul Thomas Anderson. Right. Everyone was raving about it, but I thought, eh, okay, that's fine. Like I saw, you know, the clips of the bullet time things mm-hmm. and they look cool, but didn't interest me. And then I, I saw it. I finally saw it a couple of years later. Like it took a while and I saw it on, on cable, I think. And I was pretty blown away. Yeah. The first time I was like, whoa, whoa. I just, I didn't expect it. It wasn't, I expected what I saw, you know, from the trailer and all the clips and the slow motion and him bending backwards, you know, all the, all the bullet time stuff I expected. And I, this is, this is a weird thing to say. I didn't expect it to be so 
sci-fi, I guess. Hmm. I think you're right, Dan. And I remember reading something that I think they were Star Trek fans. I I, I seem to remember. It makes sense. there 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 were a lot of nods to other science fiction movies yes. and stories, obviously like Terminator, Blade Runner, um, Alien, Alien, yeah. very much so. Star Trek two with that, but that was, that was Star oh, Trek two plus really? alien that yeah. bug going through the navel. It's like the opposite oh, of alien, but very similar to putting that thing oh, in the totally. ear. I can touch my belly button whenever I think about that. Like yeah. I have to really make sure that there's not <laughs> yeah. something in there. And then do you smell it afterwards? Yeah, of course I do. Touching I lick it. Yeah. I have been, in this business 52 years and i will i've never seen anything like this so rewatching it now it's it's really interesting on many levels i don't know if it i still think it's a super cool movie the special effects and it's just it's just a product of our time they don't hold up as well just because mm. we've come so far sure. they're still very cool and mm. they've got that old like that you know that that kung fu action movie, you know, like the wire look to it, which I think is obviously a huge influence on the movie. And again, that wasn't something that like, I remember when crouching tiger, hidden dragon came out. That was another one reading my mind. I was just going to say how much after crouching tiger is this? That's this is before this is a year before. Okay. Okay. So, but I mean, that was again, and, and I've said this before in the podcast, I was never a fan. I didn't know those Kung Fu movies. That wasn't my thing growing up. And that wasn't, you know, and I know people have said, Oh, you got to watch this. You got to watch, you know, different type, you know, different directors. And it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't something that I was aware of or, was into obviously the Wachowski brothers now sisters you know very much were and so all that stuff is still there but it's hard to watch a movie like this you know there there are definitely parts of this which look a little dated not not you know so much not crazy but still it, it doesn't hold up as well to where we are now and also the scenes when it's you know some of the some of the dialogue uh, some moments don't hold up as well. I think that the last, the last quarter of the movie, it loses it for me a little bit. It's fun and is action filled, but it starts to get a little cheesy. Like the Hugo weaving with the, with the super fast punches. Yeah. I chuckled now yeah, watching it. It looked silly. silly. It looked like something out of an old Popeye cartoon, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to be as forthcoming as I can be. Mr. Anderson. You're here because we need your help. We know that you've been contacted by a certain individual, a man who calls himself Morpheus. And whatever you think you know about this man is irrelevant. He is considered by many authorities to be the most dangerous man alive. We're willing to wipe the slate clean give you a fresh start. And all that we're asking in return is your cooperation in bringing a known terrorist to justice. Correct me, that, that was Gloria Foster, right? Yeah, the Oracle? Gloria Foster is the Oracle. You worked yeah. with, Jason. Yeah, you worked yes. with her, right, Jason? Worked with her in Hecuba at Hofstra University. Yeah, oh. she was... She's great. I really, I really liked her. She was funny. I still have a photograph somewhere of me doing my impression of her for her and her oh. like laughing hysterically. It's a great, it's a great picture. I got to dig it up somewhere because she oh, was such to. a, she was such a character and she would figure out like how she could turn in the middle of scenes 
so that she could pull a tissue out and like get the snot, I don't know, like get wipe away stuff, you know, like clean up her face a little bit and then stick it back inside her costume and then turn around like she knew. And it was a weird because that whole play was done kind of wasn't even in the round. It wasn't a thrust. It was like the audience was everywhere. You had to really be. I mean, that that was quite a lesson. I was like, how does she finding the one little sliver of wall that she can face that there's not an audience <laughs> member pro. looking at her. She's a real pro. Um, awesome. She was very kind, very funny. And I thought she, I love that scene. I think that's one of the best scenes in the She's movie great. as the Oracle in that kitchen baking cookies. It's yeah. so disarming. So and yeah, because you don't, everything in the matrix the is last so thing you'd cool and yeah. stylistic and, you know, black and white. And mm-hmm. right. it was very cool. You know, the, the other thing, the, the thing that really was weird watching and I've been watching, this show on HBO now called uh, Q Into the Storm. Yeah. All about QAnon. And man, this is, I feel like this is a movie that all those people probably love because it's it's really like a precursor to the conspiracy group. You don't know how deep this goes and all that. Yeah, and take the red pill. Like if you take the red pill, you open, you open your mind, you'll see the truth. Like, you know, we're, we're, and I mean, a very prescient movie too about that we're all plugged in. We're all plugged in and, and are we, what is real? You know, the well, fact that we're talking to each other now over this weird, you know, right, construct yeah. of zeros yeah. and ones. And it's, yeah. it's, and that people may be listening and that we also want people to be listening. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the sort of dichotomy yeah. of that, of that reality. It's like, you know, I want my privacy. I value my privacy. I am, you know, don't track me. Don't make me a piece of data. But also, here's a selfie that I'm going to share with the world of me at the Grand Canyon. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, there's that, there's that dichotomy and matrix plays with that even a little totally. bit. Totally. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I remember. And I was like, for a half second, I was like, is this in this movie or is this in the second one or something where he wakes up in his little cocoon, his pod, yeah, in his pod and rips the, I guess they're like injectors or, or yeah. trackers or whatever they are, the things that are in him that keep him yeah. alive. He rips them all out. And then he basically gets flushed down the, yeah. down the drain and then Morpheus and all of them save him. But I mean, I, I remembered that vividly as that for me, that was the new world order moment. I was like, Oh my God, this is yeah. like yeah. brave new world. Basically. Yeah. This yeah. Is, That's yeah. where the Obviously movie turned. That was really spot. the moment where I was like, Oh, whoa, this is yes. not what I was. This is something very, very different. Yeah. That moment right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what did it for me. Um, I think Reeves is great in it. What the hell happened to Carrie Ann Moss? Wonderful. Oh, she's so good. She's so good. Wonderful. Well, where she, she, she showed go? up in the, uh, in the MC, well, not the MCU, but she showed up on uh, the Netflix Marvel shows. She was on Jessica Jones. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. And then I think in the Defenders. Yeah. She's fantastic. She's, oh, she's, she's so good. Oh, I remember loving her in uh, Chocolat, that movie Chocolat with, uh, with uh, Johnny Depp and, and Judy Dench. I don't, I don't remember her in that. Uh, oh, yes. That yeah. Oh yeah. She's in, she's in that. She's in that. Wow. Um, Fishburne yeah, is she's... so good. All of the people who are on the Lawrence Fishburne ship, the, um, the Nebuchadnezzar there. I think they're all uh, excellent. I wanted to know more about them. You only really get to know the Joey pants character, all the sort of ancillary ones. You don't get to know as well. 
He's great in it, but he always sticks out like a sore thumb in every movie to me. He never looks like he belongs. He looks like he's wandered. It's like when Daffy Duck wanders into different cartoons and stuff, you know, like as they're drawing. And it's like, oh, you're here now. Like, maybe stay out this. Because he essentially gives the same. Maybe it's because he's the same to me in everything. As yeah, good as yeah. he is, he's the same. So Midnight Run, The Matrix, Baby's Day Out. It's like the same guy wandering through all these movies. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of great. And like again, it's, 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 it's again, sort of disarming because yeah. you expect everything to be sort of slick and cool. And Joey Pants is slick and cool. I love how we just call him Joey Pants. We don't even, I give know. Him a, you That's know, a, well, it, those it, of us it, who know him. But it but he's yeah, good. Exactly. He, but it is, he is great in it. At first, I was like, good. "Oh yeah, Joey Pants is in this," and I was like, <laughs> "All right." But I was like, "No, he's perfect." The only thing I'll say is that as soon as you see him there, you're like, "Well, that's going to be the turncoat." That's yeah, right. I totally. kind of, like, If no, there's a yeah, wrench in the, the works, it's going to be him. You know? Yeah. So that's yeah, right. The only moment that I didn't like of any of those guys was the guy Tank. After when when uh, when Joey Pants does turn on them, spoiler. Mm. Sorry, I said spoiler too late. When, uh, <laughs> doesn't do any good. When uh, when he finds out that Rosebud is a sled. Oh, spoiler! Oh, you've done it. Yeah. When when that happens, and then he you know he he shoots Tank, but then Tank gets up. And he ends up shooting Joey Pants. And there's that close up of of the character of Tank. He's like, Tui. He's he spits, but he doesn't really spit. <laughs> It's really awful. It's really strange. I remember the first time I, that, that, when I first saw the movie, I thought, why did they keep that shot in? Could it just actually, sp- like that's what it was Mad like. Magazine. Yeah. Patui. That's what it felt like. I, I noticed watching it this time, there's so many uh, shots with, ref- you know, uh, playing with reflections, reflections of them mm-hmm. in the sunglasses and in mirrors, the glasses, in, in, yeah. the, mm-hmm. in the spoon and the doorknob. Right. I thought that was oh, very cool interesting. and interesting and just like showing, I, I'm assuming it was, you know, had to do with like a, a, a different view on something, looking yeah. at something in a different way. Or a warped, sort of a, a warped, warped image, way. you know, like the, the way you're, mm-hmm. as opposed to a direct mirror, you're, you're kind of curved. You're a little. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting because this movie is both really derivative of so many other things influenced by so many other things. And then as a result has influenced so many things, you know, it, yes, it's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. taken it and, and, and um, repurposed it in a way like it, it's, it, it feels very original, but yet it's, it's, it's not, it's like, yeah. it, it, it's, it's just a collage of so many other uh, both philosophies and images and all that mm-hmm. sci-fi tropes mm-hmm. and all these mm-hmm. things, but it kind of crystallized it into something very, very, new and shiny and exciting and and yeah and then that as a result has influenced so many things so it, it's great but it does get to a point where you know it's like we need guns i remember that so vividly yeah, because that's the, that's the moment the where yeah. where Ka- kathy my girlfriend at the time she really checked out it's a long movie too it's a little yeah. on the long side and at that point she was like oh god all the shoot she was like i want to go and i was like we can't go. Lawrence Fishburne is in here. He got us a ticket. She's like, I want I'm to leave. I'm on a date. She's oh, like, I God. want to leave. I was like, I was like, I, we can't leave. And she was very mad at me that we stayed and watched the movie. Wow. But then you watch it again and, and it's like, oh man, it's like they get guns. And then that's all. It's just, it's just a shoot them up, like a, a brutal shoot them up for like the next 20 minutes. And then it, you realize two weeks after this was Columbine and they oh, were man. inspired by it in some way, you know, the, the no, trench coat mafia God. thing. Yeah. It was all yeah. like, you know, yeah. all this, the fashion of the matrix kind yeah, of, you right. know, so that's, you know, that's not the movies. <sighs> you say it's not the movie's fault. Right. But then again, it's like, 
Well, like a lot of other art at this time in video games and things, it certainly yeah. glorifies the hell out of just get, yeah. I mean, the fact that in the matrix where you can do anything, yep. a fuckload of guns is the thing you, you know what I mean? Where yeah. it's like, yeah, it seems rather uh, uh, uncreative for a, uh, such a creative movie. That was another yeah, part right. that I sort of chuckled at watching in this rewatch when they go into the building and they're trying to infiltrate to get up to, uh, to save Morpheus. There's one point where he's just doing cartwheels shooting yeah. and, it, and it just at first I didn't realize that he was shooting while he was doing the cartwheels and it just seemed he's like wee I'm in the matrix wee I'm tumbling one of the things that didn't make sense to me you know as far as the 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 how the matrix operates is that the movie's pretty consistent about like things happen when you are in the matrix if you don't know that you're in the matrix or if you're operating in the matrix and and are not Neo, you see the world as we see it, right? Um, except for that moment that the helicopter goes into the building and the building goes whoa, 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 and sort of becomes liquidy and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. that's not, why mm. is that happening? Is that just Neo seeing it that way? That, that was the impression that I got. Yeah. That's through his point of view. Okay. That's the only way that makes sense to me is that like, you know, I mean, it's this, it's almost the same thing as when the bullets are going through the air and they sort of become liquidy or, or almost like mercury in a way. It's like, okay, yeah. I understand that because that's Neo's point of view on them, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, the movie state, you know, it's, it's, it's entertaining. It's followable. I completely agree with you, Jason, about like, could we do something more creative than ninety thousand bullets? Um, <laughs> right. You know, at the end, it, it's you're you're you hit the nail on the head. I was like, what is it about this movie? Oh, it's that. That's the yeah. thing that that yeah. makes me bored with it. Quite frankly, um, towards the end, yeah. It, but other than that, I like it. Yeah, I like it too. It's never been a movie that was. I mean, again, I saw it, and that I, you know, I said, yeah, game changer, crazy, People wow, what a crazy. movie. Yeah. But I don't think I ever watched it again. I think oh, I watched wow. yeah. part of it in anticipation of the second one coming out when we were all living together. I think uh, mm-hmm. I think Bob had it on. It was watching it, uh, you know, yeah. and I was like, oh, yeah, I should watch the should watch yeah. the Matrix. Again. Remind myself what's to going remind on. myself of what's going on. And I was like, oh, it's really cool. But I mean, it, it, there's something about it that leaves me cold. And that's and that uh, that's not you know i mean it is a cold dystopian kind of future thing you know there's not a yeah. lot of there's not a lot of warmth and a lot of heart in it and when there is toward the end and i don't necessarily feel the need to spoil it but it's very mm-hmm. sleeping beauty snow white you know it's it doesn't work for me it's like oh, see, oh i didn't I like that like that oh. i love that that it's that it's love that kind of reawakens no, I, didn't, I didn't i, I didn't find that earned really like it <laughs> i did i didn't it didn't work for me i was like oh there's the movie's heart fun there's yes, the exactly. Heart. Well, that's where they had it was like, okay, that is if you're gonna say there's heart to it, that's certainly it. Yeah. It just didn't um because I, I like her so much, you know, Carrie. Yeah, it just didn't feel like you're right, Fred. It didn't really feel earned to me, mm, and it felt kind of okay. convenient and like, yeah, of course. In I the said end, boo. I audibly love. said boo when she oh, said because I love you. I said, I boo, said yay, because no. I'm just yeah. sentimental and stupid. No, I think it's I think it's the type of thing where depending on the mood you're in when you're watching it, it Maybe. could be yeah. like it could work on you more. Because I, I feel the same way. I could see myself tipping more into Dan's column. But when I watched it the other night, I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not afraid anymore. The Oracle told me that I would fall in love and that that man, the man that I loved would be the one. 
what was Fishburne's reaction? Had he seen the movie in its entirety <sighs> prior to, and how did he react? I can't remember if he had seen it before. Um, okay. I, I just remember, I could tell he was, you know, he was like, that's pretty cool. He's, he's pretty ah, proud of it. I mean, how can you nice. not be in there and be like, yeah. this thing fucking works? Because yeah. it, because like a lot of these big special effects movies and stuff, it's not your, you know, it's not like Ben Kingsley sitting there watching Gandhi. It's like, you know, it's like, right. yes, I'm a part of this yeah. big machine that is, you know, t- really touching something, really, like, like mm-hmm. hitting a chord with the public. So I think it was just cool. And he could have like kind of a little perspective on it you know because it wasn't yeah. all about him i mean you're just yeah. like cool guy in a cool movie and you know and how and many sheilas did he give it at the time yeah did he give it <laughs> sheilas did he give it several sheilas uh he, pro- he probably did i mean he i think he brought three women named sheila but i was like that, that rating's too low and he says well i've got a couple more in the car i was like perfect no i don't <laughs> how many sheilas would you give it then <sighs> uh, it's so funny because i i guess eight no that's what i'm it's thinking. like it's between a seven and an eight for me because it's like it's good it's really good really solid but it also once you've seen it like there's nothing like the seeing it for the first time and being like what the fuck is happening you know? mm-hmm. and and even though there was magic i obviously it left me i was like wow that's really that that's quite a thing and i never felt the need to really revisit it again so i think maybe 7.5 7.5 it's exactly where I am, Jason. 7.5 on the money. I'll meet you there. Three <gasps> 7.5s. 7.5s. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, I was nice. going to go to the eight only because I thought, God, it's so, it's just so influential. You have to give it up for that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm easily swayed. So you guys say 7.5. I go, okay, 7.5. Well, that's what you, that's what you call consistency. And uh, another thing that's consistent is What's in the mail sack this week? Oh my! Yeah, let me just let me just grab what's in there because uh, it, you, you'll be surprised. What, you know, with with the consistency of this, I, I think. <laughs> there it is. Now, wow! Look at this. He really wrangles that sack. Don't I? Don't I? Know? <laughs> I have to. Uh, there's What's another. the consistency of the stuff that comes out of the sack after you wrangle it? <laughs> oh, no. ah, it's like what they eat in the Matrix, that goop. It's the, yeah. that, that, that oatmeal-like goop. Um, but in this case, it's another wedding invitation. Wonder. Fancy envelope. I mean, I just can tell from this fancy envelope. Look at it. It's, it's, big, it's gorgeous. It's so ornate. ornate. I know. Yeah. I know. Let me just open it up here. Okay. Oh, you, know, you ruined it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I ruined everything. Okay. Now look at this. The parents. Uh, now this is the same as that, but wait a minute. It's a little different. The parents of Sheila Weintraub O'Shaughnessy D'Angelo. It's a different, different set name. of three name, three huh. last names from last week. Cordially invite you to the wedding of their daughter to Richard Stephen Dreyfus on May 26th, 2021. It's one week later than one week later at the Spokane Bird Sanctuary. Last week was the Spokane Fish Hatchery. Interesting. Let me put, let me hang on a second. I gotta, I gotta get a closer look at this. (laughs) Sheila and Richard will, Sheila and Richard will prove that owl you need is love. Oh my God. Here we go. (laughs) It will be. 
an emotional night. Oh, Jesus. Oh, emu. I got it. Night. I got it. it. We got it, people. People, we got it. An emotional night when our daughter finally leaves the nest. Richard <laughs> likes it, so he'll finally put a wing on it. <laughs> Lord, help us all. Ceremony will begin at 630, followed by cockatiel hour at 7. <laughs> now, this is really, this is different. This is hard to read. RSVP if you lovingly accept or egretfully decline oh my God. <laughs> this invitation. Now, what do you make of this? Well, correct this me if be? I'm wrong, but uh, Richard Dreyfus. And if He's you're a first time listener, now. just, I, yeah, I got, I got nothing for you. If Just go back. We can't, we can't explain this. Yeah. No, I usually but, try to explain things to first time listeners. There's, there's no point. Good. No, we can't. We but, can't. Uh, just know that he's suffice, part quail, part salmon. That's all you need to do. Right. Yes. So I'm assuming, so last week's invitation was for his salmon side and this week's invitation is for the quail side. That's what it feels like. Feels that way unless they're just throwing shit out there to see what work. I mean, I don't, I don't. I, I, <laughs> well, I, I think that sums up a lot of what we're doing here. But it's putting also, on a blindfold and throwing stuff at a dartboard. But it's different. <laughs> but she had different names. Like the this is a different Sheila, is it not? I mean, uh, those are. I mean, that's a that's a whole different. It's like a. It, it is very matrixy. It's very matrixy. It's, it's, very like, a, matrixy. it's like a mirror image of yes, of yes. our Sheila or some version of Sheila that then is one week after. Wait, so one week after the Sheila we thought was Sheila marries <laughs> marries a, a hybridized Richard Dreyfus with a stronger a stronger focus on his fish like elements, the fish side of the family. Then one week later, another Sheila or the same, slightly same refracted Sheila is going to marry presumably the same man, but just, but there's more weight placed on his bird-like qualities. This is... There's something very multiverse about all of this. It's well, that's where I'm headed, Fred. You read my mind. There's something multiverse about this. Oh, and okay. We, we know got it. who our key to the multiverse is. Nick Nolte? Nicholas Nolte. It's Nick Nicholas J. M. M. Nolte, <laughs> whatever his middle initials are. Nicholas Q. Nolte. Oh, so my God. Perhaps... He's going to have to figure out what's going on. Perhaps he can help us. We'll see. I think we I think see. before he needs to help us become more consistent in how we pronounce multiverse or multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> or Mazur or Mazur. Now listen, yeah. Yeah. if, if or, none of this Corina makes sense. Or Corina. Or Corina. <laughs> if none of this makes sense to you, A, you're on the right track. B, what you should probably do is listen and subscribe and see. Put five stars on iTunes. It's been a while since a new review has appeared on the i on the iTunes. Yeah, what's going on, people? Come on, put a nice review on there and just tell us how much you love us. Because of course you love us, so give us the five stars and put it on there. <laughs> and then all that's will a good be way to clear. get reviews. That's a good way to get, come on, people. Give us a goddamn good review. What Do the it. hell? 
Take the red Dude, pill. What are you scared? What are you scared? Take the red pill. All take the red be... pill and give us a review. Take the, take the, <laughs> take the leap, people. Do we, it. We don't make it. don't make me sit here and list the ten things I hate about you. Uh-huh. Oh. Because you didn't give us a good review. Well. And we just lost all our listeners. Fred said he hates us. Why should I listen to this? Uh, no. I'm going back to fresh air. <laughs> I love all of you people. Share. I love Fresh all of you people. All you beautiful you. listeners. We love you very much. 10 things I love about you. Oh, Aww. that's nice. That's adorable. That's I can just see you writing that on a little homemade Valentine in, in third grade. <laughs> you sweet thing. <laughs> but let's get real. It's 10 things I hate about you. Bianca Stratford is the most popular girl at Padua High. You're asking me out? I'm down. I've got the 411. And you are not going out and getting jiggy with some boy. I don't care how dope his ride is. Her sister, Kat, is something else entirely. People perceive you as somewhat tempestuous. Hannah switch is the term used most often. The only thing they have in common. I am the only girl in school who's not dating. Oh, no, you're not. Your sister doesn't date. Is one simple rule. Okay, you can date. When she does. But she's a mutant. What if she never dates? Then you'll never date. Oh, I like that. Kat Stratford, played by Julia Stiles, is beautiful, smart, and quite abrasive to most of her fellow high schoolers. As a result, she doesn't go on many dates. Unfortunately for her younger sister, Bianca, played by Larissa Olenek, the house rules set by their father, played by Larry Miller, say that Bianca can't date until Kat has a boyfriend. So strings are pulled to set the dour damsel up for romance. Soon, Kat crosses paths with the handsome and mysterious new student from Australia, Patrick Verona, played by Heath Ledger. Will Kat let her guard down enough to fall for the persistent and charming Patrick? Loosely, but not insignificantly based on Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew, Ten Things I Hate About You shares some DNA with Amy Heckerling's Jane Austen update, Clueless, and is highly regarded in part for introducing the world to future Brokeback Mountain and Dark Knight star Ledger, who gives a star-making performance. Also starring David Krumholtz and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ten Things I Hate About You earned $8.3 million over its opening weekend on its way to a $38.2 million domestic box office and a worldwide haul of $53.5 million. Fred and Dan, what'd you guys think of Ten Things I Hate About You? Hold it now and watch a hoodwink as I make you stop think. You think you're looking at Aquaman. I'll summon fish in the dish, although I like a stylish wish. I like the sushi because I never touched a frying pan. I like wasabi when I bust rums. I think I can't hand rums because I'm all about value. But can't forget the man is. You try to match wits. You try to home about a bust through. I'm going to make a break. I'm going to make a break. I'm going to make so you, you thought 1999 about it. That's wow. what you thought about Yeah, it. no, as soon as it started, I was like, hey, bare naked ladies, hello, late 90s. <laughs> but you know what? That's when it was made, mm-hmm. and that's what it was. Um, but, then it was but then it was quickly followed by Bad Reputation by Joan Jett, which I thought was a right. brilliant musical yeah. sting. Here's the thing. I don't know. Um, this is in my... <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. I, po- I apologize to any bare naked lady fan because I just butchered that. My song. sister loves bare naked ladies. Loves goes to like she and her girlfriends. They still like go to their concerts. I enjoyed pick. them for a hot second. They're very good. They're, they're very still good around. Was, yeah, they're still around. Uh, they still tour. They still perform. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. One of the guys left. One of the one of the singers did too much cocaine and he left. But um, oh, anyway, I didn't even know that. Before. It's so, been one week since I did cocaine. Sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> Does anybody know where I can get some? <laughs> this is a movie that's very beloved by people. I found. I know. I did. A, I did mm-hmm. some uh, some search, some research. People really dig this movie. Mm-hmm. My wife loves it. She loves it. Mine really? too. Mine too. They were of the age, and she's like, she kept she kept sitting next to me. She's like, she's like, huh? Right, it's funny. Come on, that's good. Like she kept being like, "Come on, that's yeah. great. Come on." I really wanted to like it because, on so many levels, it's really, really brilliant and great. It, it's 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 a great idea mm-hmm. to take that particular play, which mm-hmm. is such a problematic play in terms of the relationship between men and women, and and sort of how you know Kate is portrayed and what happens to her at the end. So. It's it's a great idea and it's a lot of fun and there's so many fun characters, you know. It's one of those yeah. shows where it's it's those plays where it's not just. I mean, obviously, Kate and Petruchio are are the big roles, but all the roles are a lot of fun and so oh, yeah. it, it just lends itself to an adaptation like this. And right off the bat, I was like, I, I was the same way. I was watching it with uh, with Kate and Izzy, and I was like, Ah, Verona, oh, see, I was like getting all like the little <laughs> jokes, and the, which they were like, they didn't get at all. Right? Uh, They're like, really? Okay. Uh, so I just think I think it's a great idea, and you can tell that they're having fun making it, and it, it it's it's silly, and you know, there's a lot of physical comedy, which. It misses the mark for me a little bit. Mm. Uh, it's it's. I I never found myself really guffawing or laughing at it. Come on, I appreci- even the penis drawn on the guy's face, the guy from Santa that, Claus. That was, that was very funny. funny. That was funny. That was a great moment. He was uh, funny. I thought he was funny. I guess Kermel he's supposed to be the, everything. the Tranio part. I wanted to like it more than I did when it was done, but then in thinking about it, I was like, wow, that's actually a pretty great adaptation of Shakespeare because it it's it was very if you know the play everything's recognizable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know all the characters, you know all the references. You're like, okay, that's so-and-so, that's this. That, like I said, that moment when Julia Stiles pulls up in Bad Reputation is playing, I was like, mwah, brilliant, mm-hmm. very good. Yeah. Um, I loved how they used Cruel to be Kind mm-hmm, uh, with the mm-hmm. Yeah, I was sort of that's hoping- brilliant, that's a Yeah, in song. a way I was like, it would be sort of cool if they found lots of, uh, you know, sort of modern rock songs that had yeah. Shakespearean references, mm-hmm. which I don't think- cheap they, trick at the end for you. Yeah, which I liked, but again, I was like, it would have been cooler if they found a song again that had. Mm. I, I was trying to think. I'm like, is is there is there a a, a cheap trick song that had some Shakespearean reference in it? Yeah. I couldn't think of it. Like that would have been sort of fun. I like too how. I mean, you, you can't you can't do you can't take the end of the play as it's written and make that work. I don't think for a modern audience, especially like you can, but it would be much darker. There would be, it would have a different bent on it. And I feel like they did a good job and maybe I'm not as familiar with the play as, as, as you guys, but I feel like they did a good job at modernizing it and making, taking it in a different direction, which was still true to the characters mm-hmm. in some ways. Yeah. And the relationships uh, carry over, especially the father and the daughters to, to, a, to a degree. Yeah. You know, there, there, there's uh, I like how they justified that, but you're right. You know, you, about the recognizability of it. Hello, Katerina. Make anyone cry today? Sadly, no, but it's only 4.30. I thought Julia Stiles was, was mm-hmm. great. I really I liked her. she was great. I really yeah. liked her. Yeah. She, she was really good. She was really, really good. The more I think about it. And she was the queen of Shakespeare at this time. She, she was in right. O. 
She was yeah. in the Hamlet, uh, the yep. Michael, Michael Almoreda's Hamlet mm-hmm. with Ethan Hawke. I saw her in Central Park do um, Viola in Twelfth Night oh, in two thousand two. That's right. She was doing Shakespeare or variations on Shakespeare adaptation. That's the funny thing is that she was both doing real Shakespeare text in some circumstances, and then she was doing these kind of modern day updates, which yeah. is funny. She was the go to girl for that apparently, but um, well, I thought she was really great. I met great. her briefly Did when you? I was at Sundance. Oh, I have here a we picture go. of me. In-, <laughs> in what way did you bother her, piss her off, annoy her? We we took a selfie with her, which I still have. And she was very, very nice and very sweet. I think she was surprised that anyone knew who she was. But she was, yeah, she was really, really good in this. I think she did a great job with it. I thought Heath Ledger was really good, but it was... What was it? Tell me, guys. It's what not was Petruchio. Missing? It's not Petruchio. That's what it is. That's what it is. To make the thing palatable, it, he's not really Petruchio. He doesn't really go that hard. He's not. He eases up and becomes very, very likable and charming and and yeah, kind to her very quickly. Real quick. Yeah, that's what it is. That's the problem. He's great. It's it. The first half of it is more of an adaptation of Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. Then the second half is what yeah, it feels right. like to me. And then yeah. he softens. Um, whereas you know the the plot of Taming the Shrew is literally the the man tames the woman. I mean, right? Which and, you can't do. You can't. You you, you, well, uh, in, I, you in know that's context, interesting. It would be interesting for them to have found a neat way to do it. For him to 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 for, for for something akin to what happens in Taming the Shrew, rather than just as Jason said, sort of abandoning it utterly, about at the one third mark or halfway through yeah. mark. I don't mind him. I'm sorry, Dan. I don't mean to not jump you, but I I don't think it's that he doesn't soften or shouldn't soften. I just think it was so early that you never get the meat of that. The real friction of that relationship exactly. was really barely there. It yeah. was like any other movie where. Oh, that guy's kind of a jerk. Oh, wait, he's actually nice. And then it follows their romantic relationship as opposed to them warring to the point where you think they're never going to get together. They're never going to make it work. And then somehow they do. I'm one of those people who doesn't necessarily who doesn't have the same problems with Taming of the Shrew that a lot of people do, because I actually think he's the shrew. I think it's as much about her taming him as him taming her or about both of them learning lessons in the end and coming together and coming to a mutual understanding. And that that speech at the end that everybody says, Oh, it's, it's terrible. She's a zombie at the, or you see productions where they, you know, any production can play it up any which way. And sometimes they make her such a husk of herself, such a broken husk. And the best ones I find are the ones where she's actually empowered and in on the joke and that they're, they're a team conning the other couples yes, and, scandalizing and showing everyone else. Yes. yes. And, mm. and I think that's great that yeah. he comes to understand I'm an asshole. <laughs> I have a, I was raised a certain way to think this is how you deal with women. And it's yep. actually not. And yep. they actually, it's a beautiful, it can be a beautiful yeah. story, but it's very tricky. I've not directed it. So I don't know. Maybe I would be like, Oh fuck, it's impossible. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I'd try to jump ship, but I, I actually think there's potential in that. And so I liked their quality together, ledger and style. But it just happened so early. That's my biggest issue with the movie, which I actually liked. Once I let go of it being such a literal adaptation of Shrew, once I kind of let that go, I enjoyed it more. I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big, dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much it makes me sick. It even makes me rhyme. I hate it. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. 
I hate it when you make me laugh, even worse when you make me cry. The speech at the end that she does in the text, is that the chickity china, the Chinese chicken, you have a drumstick and your brain stops ticking, watching X-Files with no, no lights, lights on. on, we're Don's La Maison, I hope the smoking man's in this one. Like Harrison Ford, I'm getting frantic, like saying I'm tantric, like Snickers guaranteed to Can satisfy. please do it in the iambic pentameter, please? Like Arisawa, I make mad sake. films. Kate, I don't make films, but if I did, they'd have a, it, does, it doesn't scan. It doesn't it scan doesn't, It doesn't scan. Bare naked ladies does not doesn't scan. That's the problem scan. with the movie. It doesn't scan. No, um, you guys know, you're right, you guys know this play better than I'm, yeah, a, I'm I've an ignoramus done, with this stuff. No, no, no. I've done three <laughs> productions of 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 Shrew. Oh, excuse and, me. Yeah, excuse us. Excuse you. M F A. That stands for. Let's go over it again. Mother M fucking M mother fucking asshole. Okay. M Shamali F M F Shamali. Okay, you can call me that. Uh, no, I, I, I just snorted. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I've, I played, uh, uh, Tranio in a production, Petruchio in a production and Baptista in a production. And this play is problematic each and every time <laughs> there's people. And hmm. one of the reasons it's problematic as a play is because there are going to be, there are going to be people who take that ending literally in the audience and go, yeah, rah, rah men. And there are going to be people who see the irony and so it's your job, I think, to play it, you know, to play it kind of like the the way you're saying, Jason, if that's the concept, if it's not the concept that she is broken and we should all be shocked and and dismayed at how broken she is at the by the end of it, which, as you said, some productions do that. Yeah. But if it is two misfits against the world, I kind of got that from this, you know, from, from I, 10, I things, did too. Yep. They, 10 things I hate about you and that big, long pullback shot. You know, um, where where the world is happening all around them and they're just kissing in the parking lot. It's like, OK, it's these two against all of the other, you know, influences and all of the other um, um, mm, uh, uh, nice. everything in the social strata of the school and what they're going to encounter in their future and the society. And then you realize, oh, this thing, this school is basically a big castle. You know, and then there's the band yeah. playing the Cheap Trick song and then you fly out over the rest of the world. So I was like, oh, that's so cool. It is the two of them against the world, like Kate and Petruchio, you know, at the end. I was like, that's really, really that's cool. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. You'd be like heaven to touch. I want to hold you so much. At long last love has arrived And I thank God I'm alive You're just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off of you yeah, I, I love the you're just too good to be true. That was the highlight of the movie for me when he comes out of the football field and sings the big song and has the marching band do it. It was great. It's, a, it's wonderful. He's fantastic it's wonderful. in it. He's so charismatic. And it's like, I was like, that's happening now? That's not happening in a half hour? Be way later. <laughs> that's yeah. what I was well, thinking. It seemed too the, soon. Yeah, yeah, too soon. But then later... She uh, finds out that he's been, uh, 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 you know, she, they have that weird moment on the steps where she doesn't find out, but she suspects that something's up with him, that he's not being fully truthful. He's not being, you know, forthcoming about the fact that he started dating her on a bet, which is right from the play. Right. That is from the play. And then mm -hmm. the, the big thing is revealed in the, at the prom. Oh, you did. I knew something was up. You did yeah. accept a bet. 
that gets resolved very easily. So any conflicts that they have don't really have any oomph behind them because they just, they kind of just fritter away to, you know, I'm sorry, I accept your apology. Now we're back. But the, the, you know, the, the final, her final speech is, I think, you know, in some ways the biggest messed up of all. First of all, it's not 10 things. I counted them. It's about 14. It should be called 14 things, <laughs> which would be great because sonnets are 14 funny. lines, right? It should have been yeah. called 14 things, and it should have been yeah. every line of a sonnet, which should have been a thing. But I counted them. I was like, okay, we're over 10. How many are we at? 11, 12, 13. There's about 14. Um, oh. But um, that speech is all about, but I still love you, you know? And I was like, ah, that's too easy. That's too easy. It's too easy. So a mm. um, lot to like about this movie. They're both very charming. I enjoyed myself. I laughed a lot. Um, uh, I was, I was, I loved Larry Miller. Holy shit. He's hilarious. He was really, he was the only adult that I liked in the movie. I thought all the teachers were terrible. They, it just, it wasn't their fault. <laughs> I just didn't, I thought that the, the English teacher who was just constantly insulting the kids, like I, I, I get the idea that they're it's all the privileged. actor from galaxy quest, right? Uh, yes, yes, you're right. Yeah. Yep. I just didn't, I didn't find it funny. And I thought, what's his no, name? It didn't the, work. Uh, who is it? The detention scene, the detention scene. I really disliked. Oh, with David, David Lee. Sure. Joe Isuzu, Oof. remember Joe, Joe Isuzu? That's what it was. I couldn't remember. I was like, ah, Subaru. I was like, yeah. Mr. Subaru. Yeah, that was, the worst. That was by Joe far Isuzu. the worst scene in the movie, I thought. I, I didn't like Julia Stiles in it. I didn't like what they made her do. I didn't, I, I just didn't think it was Yeah, flashing funny. her teacher, that was disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> he's disturbing. he's talking to the to the kid. He's like, you're sweating. You have bloodshot eyes. And you're like, no, no, this, this kid doesn't at all. It was just bad Bad directing the way it was it was well, staged. I'm like, I, uh, I think that? the gag there is he's trying to get the pot from the kid. He just knows the kid has pot. That's yeah. what I thought. I, I know, but the yeah, but the gag didn't work. I don't know. Yeah, I, no, I you're did. Right. But 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 to your point, yes, I thought Larry Miller was great. I thought it made sense. I love that they make him. Um, uh, uh, was he is, is an obstetrician? Is yeah. that what it is? Yes. Yeah, I think which, so. Yeah, <laughs> which so I think like, I'm, I've been. What did he say? Hand. He's been like. So deep into placenta or something. Yes. And some joke, some line about placenta. Yeah. (laughs) It's incredibly evocative. Elbows, my elbows are in placenta. That's what it is. I wrote it down. I want you to wear the belly. (gasps) Daddy, no. Not all night. Just around the living room for a minute so you can understand the full weight of your decisions. I am perfectly aware. Every time you even think about kissing a boy, I want you to picture wearing this under your halter top. You are so completely unbalanced. Nah. We're going now. All right, wait a minute. No drinking, no drugs, no kissing, no tattoos, no piercings, no ritual animal slaughters of any kind. Oh, God, I'm giving them ideas. If you know the play, you're at least I was, you're waiting for that first big scene between them. Yeah. You're yeah, waiting for it? that, you know, because that's, to me... It's Again, the heart maybe, of the play. I, yeah, I don't know the, the the play as well as you guys, but to me, the play never really like that scene comes, and then I'm like, okay, I'm done. I don't need to see the rest. Like it's my <laughs> it's my favorite scene. I know there's more, but no, like, there's other good stuff. But that is the stuff, big scene. That's, that's the big one. That's the big scene, and it's and and maybe because I I've <laughs> done it before and like I just it's just great. The word plays fantastic, and mm-hmm. depending, you know, if you have two good actors just going back and forth, it's just a lot of fun. So you're waiting for that. And it never comes. There's never a scene. It's like ish, but not really. Yeah, and he's putting yeah. on, he's sort of putting on this guy who's not, who, I don't know. I can't remember what he says. He has these, these really cheesy, bad pickup lines. And it doesn't, 
that just doesn't fit. There was, there was something, and I think you're right. I think they wanted to soften him more. They didn't want, yes. because the other dude, the guy, who's the guy, the actor, he's got a cult now. The guy who's like the, you know, the, the model who I thought was very funny. He has a cult he now? Yeah, he's got a cult. He's a cult leader now. Are you kidding? In the guy who, played the, who had dated Julia Stiles earlier and then wanted yeah. to, I think his name is Andrew Keegan is the actor. Yeah, he formed name, his own religion. Come on. What? Yeah. Come you didn't on. know about this? I have been in this business 52 years and I will, I've never seen anything like this. He had mm-hmm. a lot of the hard edges that I feel like Heath Ledger's character should have had because you're absolutely yeah. right, Jason, that it would have been it would have been so much more powerful if they if he started off just as sort of strongly opinionated or there, there was just more of a battle. So when he yeah. does, when it does bend, there's just more of a payoff. And it was just like I, I went in really expecting to be blown away by him just because I knew this was the thing that broke yeah. him and and. And he, again, he was really great. He was very good. He was very charming and had a lot, you know, charisma to spare. He's so charismatic. He's so watchable. Like you can just, yeah, he's very, very. Yeah. He is very good. He is very good. And I thought that it was interesting at first when they would talk about him and I thought, oh, we're really in for something interesting when he's, he's like, did he light his cigarette with the Bunsen burner and then run his hand through it in the chemistry class? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, he's, he's going to be unhinged. He's going to be. He's going to be yeah, a crazy cuckoo. guy. Right. Yeah. yeah. But they didn't go And I was that. like, and then I got excited because I was like, oh, it is going to be the thing that I always think about with this play. It's going to be that he's the one who needs taming mm-hmm. and that, and that she will have like an effect on him that brings him down to earth or makes him, softens him and all that. And it all just happened so quickly. It was like, oh, he's a sweetheart from yeah. the beginning. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like the Judd Nelson character in Breakfast Club. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that you know, been like great. That, where, where he's this misfit and this sort of bad boy you know, that may, that scares everyone. And there's all these rumors, but then you find out as it goes on, you realize that there's something, there's something a little bit, there, there's more there, there's more to him, but yeah. yeah, it didn't. Yeah. Cause the same thing, right. When it started with the, I was like, Oh, this is, this is going to be fun. This is gonna be fun. Where's it going? And then yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I was, I was let down by that. I like when he you know? drilled with the, with the power drill through the French book, right by Joseph Gordon Levitt's Wang. And then later in the in the movie, you see him still using the French <laughs> Yes, that was very funny. I was like, that's outstanding. That was very, very good. <laughs> there were a funny. lot of good little jokes. Oh, yeah. There was, when David Krumholtz is like, ah, well, you don't see peach fruit roll-ups anyway. He's trying to talk to the kid. <laughs> I was like, what a weird line. Yes. <laughs> He's, I, got, I got the feeling that. Because I because at made the up end, also at the end you see they 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 have the uh, the, the outtakes, uh, the outtakes. Yeah. yeah which was so f- weird so out of the blue but uh, I got the impression that that Krumholtz was coming up with a lot of that yeah. shit off the oh, cuff because yeah. he's very I mean he's he's great in everything but he was he was very very funny in this yeah yeah, yeah. Julia Stiles I thought stole the movie but I also like mm-hmm. uh, the girl who played Bianca I thought was excellent what the hell she happened was to very her good too. I don't know her from anything I don't else I don't know her from anything else I thought she did a very good job very nuanced performance it was a great journey we're, we're you know we don't hate Bianca but as soon as she you know sort of makes her turn we're rooting for her you know yeah. um but uh uh Stiles is is uh fantastic she's she's 
um, she's well really cast excellent. in this. I, yeah. I can't think of a thing I've seen her in that I haven't liked her in. Did you? Did either of you see the Oleana she did with Bill Pullman on Broadway? No, it's no. much maligned production. I thought it was fucking phenomenal. I thought it was oh, great. Really? I thought they huh. were both great in it. It was a I wonderful liked production. That. And shocking at the end, as it should be, and and yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was wonderful. And she's. I remember liking know, her in. Uh, Twelfth Night in the Park. With, oh yeah, um, Jimmy Smith says. Um, mm. Jimmy Smith says Orsino. Oh, hold on, wait. I got to tell you a funny Jimmy Smith story because oh, it was no, going what? on. It was when no, that was what? happening. So I was doing. I was working at the public at that time, doing Normal Heart, right? And David S. Bjornson was directing us. He was also directing that production. Right. So while we were up and running, they were rehearsing, and they were like he came in to kind of space. save your show, didn't he? In a way, in a way. David S. Bjornsson yeah. did the director. Yeah, yeah, he totally saved our show. But anyway, <laughs> so I'll never forget. So so they were rehearsing, Jimmy Smith's and the, the whole cast, they were rehearsing behind uh, our theater. And so there was a bathroom behind the stage that sort of went into the main <laughs> area of the public. Oh, no. And I remember I was in there, me and my friend Paul, and we walked in. It was during intermission or something. I can't remember. We were just like, oh, God. Oh, my God. <gasps> it just stunk to high heaven. Oh, we're like, no. oh, Jesus Oh, and we were making all these noises and gagging noises. And then we realized someone was in the stall. And we're like, oh, Fred. So we were really, Berman. we were really embarrassed. Oh. It wasn't just me. It was my friend Paul as well. So we're like, oh, God. So we walk out. And then my friend Michaela's there. And he was like, are you guys okay? Because he heard us. And we're like, oh, God. Someone's just. Ooh, it's just, someone's got something going on no. in there. Who walks out? Oh. Jimmy Smith, oh, no. the most handsome man in the world. When I tell you that there is no one in this world more handsome, I know I've I've swooned on this podcast about Hugh Grant and Selleck. Uh, Tom Selleck, but seeing Jimmy Smith in real life, I'm just like my he amazing. But we're just like, wow, I guess, well, because Jimmy Smith shit does stink. <laughs> so whenever we had to go to the bathroom, and if you're listening, Mr. Smith, I'm sure you're a big fan. I apologize because I, I think you're fantastic. But we'd often say, oh, I got to go take a Smith's. Oh, oh for God's no. sake. <laughs> I have been in this business 52 years, and I will, I've never seen anything like this. How many Sheila's? Mm, I was ready to go, and I think I still am ready to go seven on it. Me too. You're at seven? I'm going at seven. You know, Good. Kate loves it so much, and she kept saying, and I was like, Yeah, it's fun. She, and, and I, so I kept trying to, you know, trying to see it through her eyes. And then I was, and like I said, once I kind of gave up on it being, you know, like, let me get my script out and mm -hmm. follow like the mm -hmm. parallels. Once I kind of said, let me just enjoy it. I really did enjoy it a, yeah. a lot more. Good. And it is a good adaptation in part of Shrew. So, you know, but it's not yeah. the whole kit and caboodle. So, um, but yeah, seven, that's where I landed too. You say Fred. I mean, how can I help it if I think you're funny? When you're mad, oh, here we go. I'm trying oh, hard not to smile, though I feel bad. I'm the kind of guy who laughs at a funeral. Can't understand what I mean? Well, you soon will. I have a tendency to wear my mind on my sleeve. I have a history of taking off my shirt. I'm going to give it a 6.5. There you go. The weird thing Excellent. is you do have a tendency of taking off your shirt. No, I have a tendency of taking off my pants. Oh, I got confused. I got confused. It's been one week since I showed my ass. Dropped my balls on the stage and said, I'm sorry. Right? Oh, boy. Well, there we go. That's, that was 10 things I hate about you. Almost got uh, and, kicked out of equity. Oh God! <laughs> Shakespeare. To be or not to be. No!
And now, everyone, it is time to welcome our very, very special guest for this week's podcast, Patricia King, my dear, dear friend who I've known for many years. She is uh, on the board of the Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival. That's how we met way back in probably, I guess, 2008, which was my first season. And uh, in addition to that, though, she is a uh, an acclaimed author who writes under the pen name Anna Maria Alfieri, and she's a writer of historical mystery. Um, and you can check out her work and find out more about it at www.annamariaalfieri.com. That's A-N-N-A-M-A-R-I-A-A-L-F-I-E-R-I. Right? Right. Yeah! I can spell! I'm a speller! Uh, And I wasn't even looking at her name spelling. I was just using my brain power, Dan. I for do that once? sometimes for once. For once? Um, anyway, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful author, wonderful friend. And uh, and she, as I've mentioned before on the podcast, uh, she very graciously bid on the opportunity to join us for a conversation as part of Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival's most recent uh, annual gala. So, Pat, we are so thrilled to have you here. So glad you're a listener to the podcast. I'm yes. glad you wanted to join us. Now, let me ask you something, Pat. What were the things that... That you gave up on that you bid on this was there like a like a trip to Rome or Disney World she, or she lives in Italy part of the time she doesn't need no oh, trip to Rome. Need no, I don't need it I love Rome don't get me uh, wrong I'm thrilled that you bid to be on this podcast but I'm like wow what, what would you lose out on what'd you lose out on for this <laughs> uh, oh I lost out on um several collections of uh of great vintage wine oh, oh. Um, now now we thought uh, because because Pat is, uh, you know, we were trying to think of what would be a great episode to invite Pat uh, in to join us for. And I was just thinking, well, it could be any random movie she wants to talk about or something on our schedule. And then when I saw we had 10 things I hate about you scheduled, knowing it was a Shakespeare adaptation, knowing that that's the whole reason (laughs) that uh, Pat and I know each other and that uh, she was able to bid on this podcast was all because of Shakespeare, because of the Shakespeare Festival. I thought, well, great. Maybe we can have her on for this episode and we can do one of our our, uh, our our list not a top 10 list because with four people that could be quite a long episode we're going to do a top <laughs> five list of our favorite Shakespeare film adaptations but we've already spoken about it Pat but I know you watched it you 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 emailed me and said I've watched 10 things I hate about you I have I have thoughts. I have thoughts. So <laughs> actually I could tell you 10 things I hate about. Ten things I hate nice. about oh boy. Uh, but I, I will tell you the one thing that I liked about it. There was only one. And I'll start with that. And that is, uh, I think her name is Allison Janey, uh, who played the, uh, the, the high school principal who, uh, who writes uh, erotica, and her inspiration is the hypersexuality of the student body. <laughs> that was real. She and she's a great, she's great anyway. I, I I always she's always spot on, and and I thought that was really very creative. Who has ever seen that? It says here you exposed yourself in the cafeteria. I was joking with the lunch lady. It was a bratwurst. Bratwurst. Aren't we the optimist? Let's talk about movies that you liked then. What's your number five all-time favorite? Yeah, I, I only have five because um, Great. I, I don't I don't like to rank them 
in this way, but uh, I think I would say uh, Kenneth Branagh's uh, Henry V. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Yep. That's a great one. I'm going to say right now, that's also my number five. Ooh, la, la. Well, now you're going out of order. I, I am, but I just have to say, but you know, oh, okay. we do that sometimes. We, we do, like we chime do. in and say, because it is yes. so close. But please uh, speak, speak more to that, Pat. Uh, well, I, I just, I'm a pacifist and, uh, and I was raised to be a pacifist by a World War II Marine. And so I'm, uh, I'm kind of ashamed of the fact, but that, you know, I was ready to go once more into the breach. <laughs> this day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand at tiptoe when this day is named and arouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall see this day and live old age will yearly, on the vigil, feast his neighbors and say, tomorrow is St. Crispin's. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, these wounds I had on Crispin's day. But I thought uh, Brannock really put that uh, that play on the screen in a very uh, it was it was true to what the what I've seen at in the play when it's produced. And mm. um, but I'm really a theater person, so a lot of times I just don't like the movies at all. Yeah. But I I I chose that one because that uh, that's how I felt. Dan, what's your number five? Oh, come on. You know what this is. Everybody <laughs> knows that I am obsessed with the McKenzie brothers. And oh, oh. Brother, we've already <laughs> driven Pat from the room. Pat's gone. <laughs> She's like, I can't take She's it anymore. Back. She's back. She's I refuse back. to hear about this movie. You guys, it's Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas's Strange Brew. We have an appointment with that guy there, eh? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Mr. Elsinore passed away recently. Okay, you know his replacement, eh? Like the new boss? We made the appointment with him, eh? The day after he died, his brother Claude married his wife and took over the entire brewery. Pat, if you thought there was a thin connection between the Taming of the Shrew and 10 Things I Hate About You, you need to see Strange Brew, which is the most... I mean, paper, th wispy paper, <laughs> paper thin connection between Hamlet and this movie, which takes place, centers around the Elsinore Brewery and uh, Uncle Claude, who has, who, who, and his sidekick, Brewmeister Smith, played by the great, <laughs> late, great Max von Sydow, <laughs> who, who uh, are trying to take over the Elsinore Brewery. Uh, and who comes in? Good old Rick Moranis and Dave <laughs> Thomas. So many great scenes. Um, probably the best scene in the movie uh, is is the one where Moranis drinks all of the beer yes. because, and, and blows up into this big, big, big fat guy because otherwise they will drown in the vat of beer. So what do they do? Drink it all. What's your number five, Fred Berman? So I put a movie, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. I'll be honest, I don't know if it holds up, but I remember uh -oh. when I saw it, I really liked it. And I think it's a really interesting movie, Men of Respect. Oh, uh, which yeah, Aiello's in it, right? Uh, yeah, John Turturro is in it. It's basically, um, is Aiello in it? Uh, no, it's it's Rod Steiger, it's Stanley Tucci, it's Dennis Farina, oh, okay. Peter Boyle. Oh, wow. Um, and it's a, a modern retelling 
of Shakespeare's Macbeth. And John Turturro plays Mikey Battaglia. Uh, and his wife, Catherine Barowitz, plays Lady M. And it's, um, yeah, I remember seeing it way back when, and I really enjoyed it. Peter Boyle plays... Um, McDuff. He Mike plays, Duff? yeah, he's Mike, Mike Duffy. He's Mike Duffy. So he's from Mike the Irish. Duffy. I, yeah, I think that's his name. But they're, but they're having a shootout at the end. And Totoro's like, you know, no woman, no man or woman born can kill me because of the gypsy. And Peter Boyle's like, well, I got some news for you, Mikey. I was a cesarean section. <laughs> 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 that is not a line in it. That's a line in the movie. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a line in the movie. What else uh, are you going to do if you're updating it? You can't. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to say I, I was from my mother's womb untimely ripped. You, I mean, <laughs> you, you'd think it. I, I, I always enjoyed it. So I, I had to throw it on there. As I said before, my number five is 1989's Henry V, Kenneth Branagh's adaptation. You know, you said it all beautifully, Pat. I, you know, I, everything from Derek Jacobi as the chorus in the beginning mm-hmm. through that incredible St. Crispin's Day speech, which is so rousing, so moving, through the utterly disarming wooing scene with his at that time his real life wife emma thompson Branagh was like he was this wonderkind right he was he was like (laughs) orson wells in citizen kane mode he was so young when he made this and it's just so beautiful um and i actually think it's you know as and i love kenneth Branagh. i think this is for me it's his strongest of his Shakespeare adaptations. It's the one I enjoy the most. I think I all agree. the others have diminishing returns for me to some degree. Uh, and then, all uh, right, now the pendulum swings. So my number four is uh, Looking for Richard. That's my number four. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I think it's, it's as much an exploration of Shakespeare's words and his text and his writing as it is a patchwork production of Richard III itself. It's got this incredible cast featuring, of course, a very, very playful, like uh, like Al Pacino, as we've never seen him before, because it is a <laughs> essentially a documentary for at least in part. And so he's so funny and off the cuff and in the moment and, and then brilliant and frightening as Richard III. I think it's fantastic. My favorite moment, though, and it's about the table, Dan, and I've seen this movie mm-hmm. so many times. It's when they're sitting at the table working on one of those scenes with Hastings and Rivers and Gray yeah. and and Queen Elizabeth. And every time I see it, that actress, Penelope Allen, as Queen Elizabeth, she's so goddamn good. <laughs> I cannot tell for a moment if she's acting Shakespeare or just arguing her point That's about great. the play with the other actors in the room because she's so organic and she's so in it. And she's so that woman, both when she's locked into the Shakespeare text and when she's just trying to argue for her character's point of view that I really am like, wait a second. Is that, I always have to, I always am like, is that Shakespeare? It's Shakespeare. Oh my God. She's in the scene. She's so real. She, but she's in the scene. It's just beautiful. My number four, I got a uh, Ethan Hawke's Hamlet. 
Uh, there are a lot of, there's a lot of strong feelings towards that. And I know Jason, we've talked about it on this podcast. Yeah. I, I think it's, I haven't seen it in a while, but man, I, I went into that. I remember maybe we saw it together. I don't remember, but I, think we did. Uh, I really went in with very low expectations. I'm sort of, I was always hit or miss with Ethan Hawke. I've really grown to respect. I've seen him do a lot of theater and I've really grown to respect him as an actor. I think he's, I, I really think he's great. I just think the movie works. I think yeah. it's really it honest. Sure does. Yeah, I, I understand everything. It's simple. It, it 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 all works when it really shouldn't. You know, everything about yeah. it that you're like, wait, Bill Murray is Polonius? That doesn't what? What that, the kind, he was like, great, I thought. I thought so too. He's so touching. That you know what? I I've never really He's the, the best scene, I've ever seen. He's so great. That, that that scene where he's giving the advice to Laertes in, in any production or movie I've seen, I could always take it or leave it because a lot of times it's played as silly or I don't know. I sort I always sort of tune out, maybe because I'm a dad yeah. now and mm. rewatching it. I don't know. But there's something uh, so paternal and loving the way Bill Murray does it. It's disarming. You don't expect that from Bill Murray. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. For loan off loses both itself and friend. This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day. Thou canst not then be false to any man. Okay, now, yes, bloated. Yes, wildly imperfect. It's the Brana Hamlet. For yeah. some reason, I, I, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I love the way that the Hamlet-Ophelia relationship is established in this one. Um, because, uh, the scene, the, the, he gives you the scenes between himself and Kate Winslet from sort of the flashbacks. So you see their relationship and it's the only, it's one of the only versions of uh, that where, where the, where the get thee to a nunnery scene makes sense in my brain. And Mm. I've, and I, and I've, 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 um, you know, been in a couple of productions of Hamlet and it never, it's just, and I've seen all the film versions and it's like, I've never, it never lands on me in the way that it lands on me in that production. I have tears in my eyes by the end of it. It's like, it's, he's just like, Oh, you're breaking up with me. Even though we have a well-established, you know, um, a, a, a deep, meaningful relationship that is physical. I mean, you see that in flashbacks as well. And it's just, I don't know. It's just clear. I did love you once. Indeed, my lord. You made me believe so. But you should not have believed me. For virtue cannot so inoculate our old stock, but we shall relish of it. I loved you not. I was the more deceived. Get thee to a nunnery. I remember seeing it in grad school, you know, and I was kind of the only one that liked it walking out of there. And everyone else was like, geez, that was long. And I was like, but it's the whole play on film. It's the entire play. So something about it moves me. I love the yeah. the Hamlet Ophelia relationship. And um, and I just and I just dig it, it. I dig it with all of its many imperfections. Uh, my number four <laughs> is Clueless. Yeah. And I think I chose it to be my number four because I was looking for the antithesis to that <laughs> 10 things I ate about you. Um, wait a minute. I'm, so I'm wrong. It's a great literary adaptation. You get to be on this podcast yeah. over a lot of wine. <laughs> yeah. Put whatever you want on this list. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I What I was thinking about putting in there 
was uh, the Merchant of Venice, the uh, the Al Pacino Merchant of Venice. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but I didn't really like it uh, <laughs> for a lot. I didn't I didn't like it um, uh, uh, better than Henry the Fifth uh, sure. because the the problem for me is that visually it's it, it's all very claustrophobic. So I didn't, I, I, I dropped it out because of that, but, uh, an honorable okay. mention. Uh, an honorable yeah. mention. If you want to be, if you, if you uh, want to say, oh, I don't really, uh, if you want to get rid of the Jane Austen, then you, you bump Henry five up to number four. There you you let, you get, you throw Pacino a bone. You let Merchant <laughs> of Venice be number five. You can do whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing is, you know, I loved Al Pacino when he was young and I, and I really, some of his, his, uh, uh you know, I, I love scent of a woman. I think he's great mm-hmm. in that. Uh, but he chews the scenery too much. I don't know what you're talking about, Pat. I don't know what you're he's talking probably about. listening yeah. right now. Probably <laughs> probably gonna call in. <laughs> yes. What would your number three? My, my number three is uh, the 1935 Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, that's a fun one. And it is delicious. I watched it again. (laughs) Uh, I've seen it on and off uh, throughout my life. Um, It's, first of all, there's Mendelssohn's music. And it is, it's there the whole way through it. But the black and white photography, the what they did in 1935 with special effects, yeah, to, you know this is uh, it's astonishing that they could do that. I love Mickey Rooney as Puck. Oh, I so he uh, he was great. Olivia De Havilland, Dick Powell. I mean, these are yeah. It's oh, right. Cagney is bottom. Cagney's bottom. And Cagney yeah. Cagney as uh, as bottom. I thought he was wonderful. If I may hide my face, let me play Fizney too. No. I will speak in a monstrous little voice. No. Listen, listen. Ah, Pyramus, my lover dear. No. Thy Fizney dear and lady dear. No, no! You must play Pyramus and flute you Thisby. Well, proceed. Dan, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is the Michael Radford uh, Merchant of Venice with Al Pacino, which is why I was giving you the big thumbs up. I'm glad it was an honorable <laughs> mention for you, Pat. Um, I really enjoy uh, this movie. Um, it got lukewarm reviews um, uh, when it came out. Um, it it really it got mostly lukewarm reviews for Lynn Collins as Portia, and I've never understood that. I think she is hmm. a lovely Portia. I am totally into what she's uh, what she's bringing uh, in that movie. And I think Pacino is terrific in it when he when he is, you know, having his the moment where the knife is about to go in and he's about to get the, the pound of flesh and and just the the look on his face and in his body language and in his shoulders and how he just he just crumbles when they take everything, including his religion away from him at the end. Oh man, that is just uh, that is just a, a, a beautiful, gorgeous scene, and it's the culmination of everything. And I love the fact that it starts with this montage of of people treating him poorly, and mm. and Jeremy Irons spitting at him, and you sort of see all of the the ways that that um, you know uh, uh, Jews were treated in, in Venice. Have I had Jew eyes? 
pathology hands, organs, dimensions, senses, affections, passions, fed with the same food, hurt with the same weapons, subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as a Christian is. My number three is Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Uh -huh. It's loud, it's brash, it's over the top, it's crazy, <laughs> it's silly at times, and I think it fits perfectly for the time. I think it's a perfect Shakespearean adaptation for that time. I think it's the only, this is going to sound weird, <laughs> it's the only Shakespeare movie that I feel like Shakespeare would like. Ah. I watched that movie and I feel like he'd be like, oh yeah, I get it. Because he was a he was a playwright for the people. He wanted yeah. to appeal yeah. to the masses, to the people. And that's what that movie does unapologetically. You know? Yeah. And I love the opening scene. The opening is so over the top and crazy with, you know, the sword and like the, <laughs> the, the, the Tarantino shots to the gun. And you see like, that's the name, that's the, the, the brand yeah, of the, the gun. And the the gun. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Like the sword 45 or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I just thought that was really well done. It's like, okay, we're, we're going to set this up. This is what it is. Cause these people are going to be speaking, you know, about swords and what, but they're going to have guns. So that's weird. Okay. Th this is how we're going to fix that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, you know, DiCaprio and Claire Danes are, are perfect for those roles. Yeah. I think they're mm -hmm. great. It's the, the ending. I mean, we all know Romeo and Juliet. We know how it ends. We know what happens. That ending was shocking to me. Mm -hmm. It was the only time I've ever seen a production, be it movie or stage, where I was like, oh, no, 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 don't. Like, I really thought they, they, it might work out. <laughs> oh, wilt thou leave me so unsatisfied? What satisfaction canst thou have tonight? The exchange of thy love's faithful vow for mine. I gave thee mine before that stood requested. My number three. Now here's where I start cheating. Okay, oh, so here we go. It's clueless. No, my here's my number three is. Freaks and geeks. No, close. No, Shakespeare in Love, 1998 Shakespeare in Love, which is not a, an adaptation of a particular Shakespeare play, although it is in some ways an adaptation of elements of Romeo and Juliet and elements of Twelfth Night. And for that, you know, I feel like it's it's got a brilliant script by Tom Stoppard and it's a great adaptation of so many facets of Shakespeare's work and so many pieces of Shakespeare's plays and the time and the place in which he lived and his life. And uh, I think it's just such a, 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 a stellar, I think it's a stellar movie. I, I, I love every minute of it. Um, you know, it's a, this romantic fable. It not only encapsulates the creation of Romeo and Juliet, the imagined creation of Romeo and Juliet, but it serves as this wonderful springboard at the end of the film for what I think is Shakespeare's most beautiful and melancholy play, Twelfth Night, the idea that it's like, oh, she was the muse for Viola. And it's right. He's writing Twelfth Night at the end. He's writing Twelfth Night at the very end as an homage to her. Like she inspires it. I think the cast is impeccable. I, I don't know why, Gwyneth, I think Gwyneth Paltrow is wonderful in it. I'm, I think there was a lot of backlash to the fact that she won the Oscar 
for it, but I think she deserved it. I thought Ben oh, Affleck man. of all people was fantastic yeah, he was in really it. Really good, yeah. In addition to all the great Brits, Jeffrey Rush, Colin Firth, Joseph Fine as Shakespeare, Judy Dench, who also won an Oscar. There was a wager I remember as to whether a play could show the very truth and nature of love. I think you lost it today. You are an eager boy. Did you like the play? I liked it when she stabbed herself, Your Majesty. Master Shakespeare. Next time you come to Greenwich, come as yourself. And we will speak some more. I think the thing that moved me most about the, the film is there's, there's this one shot and it's, it's burned into my memory. Uh, it's, it's at the end of a sequence where I think Paltrow is having some sort of a breakthrough on stage um, in rehearsal. It's a beautiful moment. And the camera just starts pulling back and back and back while she's still speaking. And so you're going, it's starting, you're getting farther away from the stage. And then all of a sudden you're backstage and then you see, and I'm not going to get the sequence right, but it almost goes into a hazy, almost like a slow motion kind of feeling. Mm. And there are two actors working on a sword fight and there's someone else learning lines with a script and somebody else is juggling and walking by. And it's just all the different, all the different people behind the scenes, working, prepping, getting ready, uh, devoting their lives to this. And it, it, it makes me weep every time I see it. It's, it has a power that no other single shot of a film does for me, I think. Wow. And uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Shakespeare in Love. It's probably one of my top 10. Again. Probably one of my top ten favorite just movies. Wow! So, have you seen Shakespeare in Love, Pat? Uh, it's my number two. Oh, look oh. at this! Oh. Snap! Snap! Yes. the gun. Yes, and and uh, because I am not a fan of Gwyneth Paltrow, one of the things I think is quite miraculous about that movie is it sold her to me. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. She, <laughs> but she's she really is good in it. I don't think I didn't think she deserved the Oscar for it either, but I uh, I thought she was very good in it, and and I love uh, how it portrays Shakespeare's life. And uh, I love it that he's running through the streets, you know, and he's trying to he's trying to get uh, enough money together and he's trying to write these scenes and he's 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 having all these. But as he's running through the streets, uh, there's uh, people are saying things that then show up in plays. There's a guy standing on a soapbox who's who's uh, uh, railing against theater and uh, the curtain and uh, and the rose and and I say I say a pox on both your houses <laughs> and Shakespeare turns and he looks and he keeps going <laughs> and he just kind of he's picking up um, uh, I, I just love that about it and I I, I really think. Um, uh, my favorite book about Shakespeare is um, is uh, Will in the World. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, uh, and uh, Pat, I assigned is- that book by Bill Bryson to my. I'm, I'm sorry, by by Stephen um, uh, Greenblatt to to my, uh, Greenblatt. To my uh, students. I signed chapters from that book. I love Will in the World too. I love that book because when you when you uh, the way uh, he he. Uh, portrays Shakespeare's life mm-hmm. by using the plays, by using the background history. And in the, at the end, in the, in the, uh, the last uh, chapter or addendum of the book, 
uh, Greenblatt says, uh, talks about how uh, Shakespeare's life is portrayed and what comes closest to what he think was, thinks was really Shakespeare. Mm. And he says that um, Tom Stoppard's uh, uh, script for that movie uh, oh. really mm. is one of the things that he cites as, a, as one of the greatest I think the greatest, uh, one of the greatest uh, Shakespeare scholars. He 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 um, he cited that, oh, and I was glad. Uh, so I I really love it. I really feel uh, I own that movie, and <laughs> and I really and I really yeah love it. What is the play, and what is my part? We are in desperate want of a Mercutio Ned, a young nobleman of Verona. Mm-hmm. And the title of this piece, Mercutio. Is it? I will play. My number two is uh, Fred's number something, Hamlet. uh, (laughs) Hamlet from the year 2000. And again, my first thing I wrote is a lot of people don't like this movie. I've I've been in rooms where I like show it to people. I'm like, you've got to see this because I remember how powerful our reaction was, Fred. And I I can remember being literally being like talking to you on a payphone about I think we had seen it together. But then I think... But I think we had because I saw it a couple times in the theater and I remember being on like a payphone on the Upper West Side talking to you about it. And I think you were like, this is how I think Shakespeare should be done. Like It, it just felt oh, so. Yes, I do remember saying that. I remember that, you yeah. saying you were like, I don't know, because you just we understood we understood the story more clearly than any other stage version we've either been a part yeah. of or seen. And there are so, the, the tiny things you can do with film that you can't, it's very difficult to achieve on stage, you know, for all the benefits of all the wonderful things theater can do that film can't, there's also obviously, you know, uh, the flip side of the coin. And, and I remember we were just so taken with it. You said it all, Fred. I mean, I, I really, uh, uh, it just sticks with me to this day. Uh, Carter Burwell's score, I think, is especially beautiful mm. and haunting. I, I have that. It's been on my on my iPod for years. I listen to it. Oh, my God. I listen to it all the time. When last couple of times I worked on Hamlet, but I had that music. Not that I was trying to emulate Ethan Hawke or anything like that or anyone else in that film, but that music is so rich. Um, I, you said that thing about the nunnery scene, Dan, in the Kenneth Branagh. I think I never felt the pain and the shame mm. of the nunnery scene like I did seeing Ethan Hawke pull those wires out from Julia Stiles. You know, we talked about Julia Stiles before. We really love her. I think she does a a beautiful, I fragile I need to see it again. I job as Ophelia. And when she's left there, when he discovers that wire on her and he storms out and she's just left there broken, utterly broken. My number two is looking for Richard. Mm. You, you talked yeah. about it before. You know, because I, I, I'd read a lot about Pacino and I was, you know, we all had our little obsessions at some point. And I knew that he'd been sort of working on this role for, for decades. It was something that he always came back to and he always went back to the stage and he loved Shakespeare. And, his, you know, and there were so many people who'd be like, wait, Pacino doing Shakespeare? That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I always loved that he was going back there. So this was to, to finally see that. I'd always read about it. You know, Pacino's always would just show up and do these, you know, readings of Richard III somewhere. So to see that, you know, on film was great. And it's, he's fantastic. It's the only time the scene where he woos Winona Ryder, who's playing, um, Lady Anne, Lady Anne. Yeah. It's the only time I've ever believed that scene that made Mm. sense by the end when she flips, (laughs) 
I totally bought it. We should, we should introduce Shakespeare into the academic. You know why? Because then the kids would have feelings. That's right. So we have no feeling. This is why it was easy for us to get a gun and shoot each other. We don't feel for each other. That's right. But if we were taught to feel, we wouldn't be so violent. And, and, and as you think people. that Shakespeare helps us with that? He did more than help us. He instructed us. I've never seen another movie that's structured in that way. And maybe no. I'm not, you know, maybe I'm, no. maybe there's something else out there, but it's a really innovative. And it's disarming because it really just, it just, it sort of just draw. If, if I have one criticism of the movie, it's by the end, it really becomes a proper Richard III movie. Yes, and does, I sort yeah. of wish it, I, I wish it still had that back and forth because I yeah. love that. I could watch, you know, YouTube videos of actors doing you know table reads or auditions or whatever <laughs> like all night i can go I, I just think it's so fascinating to see because you you normally see the finished product and yeah. that's what th this isn't this isn't that at all uh my number two okay pat if you don't know you listen to the podcast right you do listen do. regularly thank goodness <laughs> then you know I that do. i'm the film scholar among the three oh jesus i'm the smartest i'm the one who knows what he's talking about okay? oh, i know where this is going this is well established as well established no my do number two it, do you do you really yeah i do i do my, my oh. number two is akira kurosawa's throne of blood oh, yeah. this oh, is right. the, have you seen it pat i have oh, i've seen all of his films. oh it's so good good it's so good it's so good i did a rewatch of it recently if you like arrow do you guys like arrows you guys are like a, a lot, lot, of, a lot arrows? of arrows in that movie yeah. okay, a lot of arrows <laughs> you like arrows if you're, if you're what's your favorite weapon if, if you're when if you were to kill someone what would you use let's just take a poll arrows anyone <laughs> how many how many for arrows? yes yeah, so that's two books arrows. great these people will love throne of blood no it's fantastic <laughs> It is uh, the samurai uh, Macbeth, the um, you know Toshiro Mifune, who is who is Akira Kurosawa's guy. He's in all of the Akira Kurosawa movies, on practically all of them. Is the Macbeth uh, character Washizu, and uh, he meets in the woods with the Banquo um, uh, character Miki. Uh, meets this weird, <laughs> um, this weird woman in the woods who is at a spinning wheel. And she's all in white and she's spinning this thread as she's telling them, you know, you're going to be this and you're going to, you're going to run this fortress and you're going to run this fortress and then you're going to be everything. And your kids are going to be the, be the next, uh, the next rulers. Mm -hmm. And it's the witches all boiled down into this one person on a spinning wheel. And there's this amazing shot where they, that, you know, she disappears into thin air. They run through the little hut that she's in, you know, into sort of a, a fog bank or or a, or a bank of trees or something. The camera follows them through. Then the camera comes back. It's one continuous take, and the hut is gone. So that means mm -hmm. that stagehands and and PAs and stuff were like, "Get the hut out of here! Move that thing! Get it out of here!" Because we're about to move the camera back and and see that That's it's gone. Awesome. It's a really awesome and cool movie. Um, 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 Isuzu Yamada, who plays Asaji, who is who is the uh, Lady Macbeth character. To watch the two of them on screen together, Mufuna and Yamada, is a study in contrast because she is a picture of stillness. She barely moves a muscle. And he is, even if he's standing still, his breath is, uh, he's always kinetic. And, he, and even his breath is moving his shoulders and his chest up and down. He's constantly moving. And she's just, listen, 
you got to kill him. <laughs> and she's just completely <laughs> still. And it is so beautiful. And then that is contrasted with her hand washing scene, which is more almost as frightening as anything in any horror movie. Pat, what is your what is your number one Shakespeare? Mm, my number one is the Trevor Nunn Twelfth Night. Oh, uh, nice. Twelfth Night is is my favorite uh, uh, play to see. <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me, it's my allergies. Um, and uh, I love uh, uh, Twelfth Night. And I had this this terrible. Um, uh, wish uh, when uh, when John and Joan Cusack were very young and they were just starting out in their careers, I kept I kept uh, shouting in the direction of Hollywood, <laughs> make Twelfth Night with these two actors oh because God. they are brother and sister. They look so much alike, and they were, and I thought they had the chops to do it, especially oh, yeah. Joan. Uh, but when when they were young, they were really uh, accomplished, and I thought they would have made such a great Twelfth uh, Night because you re- you really could sell the idea that they were the same yeah. person. You know, they dressed alike; they were so uh, like each other. Uh, and I never got that wish, <laughs> uh, but I really I really do like the Trevor Nunn Twelfth Night very much. It's very beautiful. Your will was radiant, exquisite, and unmatched beauty. Pray you tell me if this be the lady that has, or I never saw her. I'm loath to cast away my speech of taking great pains to learn it. Whence came you, sir? Uh, that question's out of my part. Good gentleman, give me modest assurance if you be the lady of the house. Are you a comedian? No, my profound heart. Are you the lady of the house? I am. Well, then I'll on with my speech and your praise. Come to what is important and I forgive you the praise. Dan, what is your number one? Oh my gosh, my number one is Orson Welles' Chimes at Midnight. Movie like crazy. Have you ever seen it, Pat? No. Oh, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it so much. Yeah. So, you know what's so well, funny? I I thought your number one might be in a similar good. vein, My Private Idaho, which is oh, also I love my own private Idaho. Yeah. Yeah, my own private Idaho. Yeah, because yeah. I think we saw that together. Because that's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. That was a very big movie. And, uh, but yes, yeah, another similar. movie about Hal and Henry yeah, Ford. Yeah. yeah. No, Chimes at Midnight is a is a wonderful mishmash conglomeration of mostly Henry the fourth part one, much of Henry four two. Um, and then little lines from, from Henry the fifth and Mary, even Mary wives, Mary wives of Windsor yeah. Yeah, wrinkled in there. Um, and it is really the story of Falstaff. In fact, if you, if you rent it or, or, or get it on streaming, sometimes it will be called Falstaff chimes at midnight, um, hmm. as the full title, but it, it kind of goes by both titles. This is a gorgeous, sumptuous, funny, funny, funny film. Orson Welles hmm. directed and he's Falstaff, of course. Um, John Gielgud plays Henry the Fourth. Keith Baxter plays Hal. Uh, it is, a, and, and the great uh, Jean Moreau plays Daltaire Sheet, uh, Falstaff's sort of girlfriend. Um, it is, a, it's a, just a lovely movie. Um, talk about a battle scene at the end. The Battle of Shrewsbury at the end is this muddy, 
I mean, it's, it's like a mud, it's like a mud wrestling, um, <laughs> huge sprawling thing where you got horses falling in the mud and guys crawling through the mud. And everybody's caked in mud by the end of it and they're stabbing each other and fighting. Um, and it is, uh, uh it, it's a wonderful movie, but what makes it work is the Falstaff Hal uh, relationship between Wells and, uh, and Keith Baxter. It is, um, so beautiful. And you really get the sense that he is not only a second father to him, but it's just has a deep seated um, fear of being abandoned uh, by him or rejected by him throughout it. And some all staffs don't get that quite right. And, and of course, because it's Orson Welles, every five seconds you're going, wow, what an amazing shot. Wow. wow. What an amazing <laughs> composition. Wow. What an amazing, you know, um, uh, uh, just a, a filmic um, in, in, innovation that he's putting out there because he's always innovating. Uh, and uh, um, I, 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 I love it. That's my number one chimes. At wow. You'll love it, Pat. You will love it. If you like yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, this is why I love this podcast Yay. because I always, I always, uh, you know, I usually I'm, I'm uh, well, walking around New York because that's what we do. What we do? walk everywhere. And I and I have my beats and I walk around, but I don't listen uh, to opening weekend while I'm walking around New York because I can't write down the name of the movies I want. To I have to do it in the house where I have uh, a, my piece of paper in my pen nice. so I can write them down. That's right. Yeah, you guys, you guys got me through a lot of the pandemic. Oh, that's uh, nice because I've been watching a movie every night. Quite honestly, and we've talked about this many times. This has gotten us through the pandemic as well. Yeah. Um. You know, we 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 uh. uh it really has been as uh, a, as much of a balm and a salve for 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 me personally for uh, as as anything, and, and I, I'm I'm grateful for it and for and for you uh, as a listener. And yeah, so I'm happy glad that's able to be helpful during this time. I get to support my favorite theater and. And then I get to hang out with you guys. I like this a lot. <laughs> Do this again. We'll, I'll, I'll buy it again. <laughs> again, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We will start a now, bidding war. we haven't war. heard Jason's number. We so. haven't heard Fred's either. We, oh, Fred, is next. Oh, Fred is oh, next. Fred is next. My number one is a movie that uh, a few of you have spoken about already. It's Kenneth Branagh's Henry V. Nice. It's one when I think of a Shakespeare movie. That's what I go to. I was obsessed with that movie for a long time. I really was fascinated with Kenneth Branagh. And I, uh, this was around the time, I think it was probably my junior or senior year of college when uh, I, I, I saw the movie. When did, when did that movie come out? When did, Eight, when 89. Did 89. Mm. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. That was around that time. And I read his biography, his autobiography beginnings, which I loved. And I, I just found him sort of be fascinating. And I think, I just love the movie. I love its its I love its grandness. I love its theatricalness. I loved, but it's still like down and in the dirt, like you said, with the battle scene, you know, similar mm-hmm. to what you're saying with Chimes at Midnight, just that muddy, muddy, oh, yeah. dirty yeah. battle scene. And and uh but I but I I I appreciate the loftiness of it, you know. Uh <laughs> I I like that in my Shakespeare. I I like it to be accessible and and real and understandable and just talk like a human being, but I, but I appreciate, you know, I've always, my favorite performance and I didn't, I couldn't do it on here cause it's not really a movie, but I love Derek Jacobi's Hamlet. Mm. 
Um, yes, me Walk too, Fred. And I love his Cyrano too. It's not yeah. Shakespeare, but my oh, but the I've way, never seen that. Oh, it's oh, gorgeous. I have w- copies of both of them that somebody it, it, dubbed it, me on VHS. The, the way he uses his voice is just it, it's and and I, I remember showing it to a few friends and they're like, eh, it's a little, it's a little big, it's a little over the top. And I get <laughs> it, but it works for me. I love it. And I find that Brana does the same thing. You know, there's the, just the way he just chews the language. I think it it really, really works. I, I just think it's it's a great, grand Shakespearean movie. Mm-hmm. And That's I love great. It. Um, okay, my number one. I know I said I was cheating before with Shakespearean love. Uh-oh. No, this is my big cheat. Oh. But like Fred with Freaks and Geeks during our oh back boy. to school movie oh. countdown, like Dan with Bill Bixby's Incredible Hulk TV series during the superhero countdown. I stand by this. Slings and Arrows. Oh, my gosh. Over three brief, efficient, brilliantly crafted and plotted seasons, this Canadian television show is not only a fantastic adaptation of Hamlet, Macbeth, and King Lear, as well as elements of Romeo and Juliet, among others, but it's hysterical, heartbreaking, and a really nuanced look at the agony and ecstasy of being a theater maker in all its forms. And it's not just actors and directors, but stage managers and interns, even to the point brilliantly that the huge payoff of season two, which I think is the best season of the series is the triumph of the managing director of the theater played by Mark McKinney (laughs) to rebrand and sell tickets to a younger audience. Uh, That is like the big heroic moment of three seasons of this show that the stand up and cheer moment is that the, the, the uh, admin guy, you know, the, the managing director has scored a win. Hannah, Richard. Oh, Jeffrey, they're young people. Out there, gathering in the parking lot. Should I have Nahum chase him away? No, no, no. It's, it's the answer to my prayers. No, no, I don't want to speak too soon. But, I mean, it's, it's good. It's a good sign, right? Sure. No, Jeffrey. Mm. There are young people out there. I, and I have to give a special shout out. Paul Gross as Jeffrey Tennant. Isn't he wonderful? Oh, He's so good, and he is without a doubt my number one all-time man crush. And you move over, Paul Newman and Tom Selleck. Selleck? Come on. I, yeah, oh, no. Paul Gross, he's is magic. That Galleon? No, he's, he's gorgeous. Magic. Are you kidding? He is gorgeous. He's gorgeous. I, I and always, so talented. I always, uh, yes, and so talented. And I thought, Hollywood. Yeah. Where? What? Why was what? he not a huge, huge star? He should have been. I was going to ask that. What happened to Paul oh Gross? Why wasn't he a huge star? You're so, right. So good. Uh, yeah. It, it just, it, he and the show in general, it just gets to the heart of what I love about Shakespeare's yeah. plays, his characters, the art form, the business, all of it. Um, I could watch the entire series once a year from beginning to end for the rest of my life and be a very, very happy man. Call me superstitious or cowardly or weak. But I'll never play a character whose name one may not speak. I'll play Hamlet in doublet and hose or either of the Dromeos, but sorry, I won't play Mackers. I'll play Richard III with a hump and a wig or Henry VIII, that selfish pig, but sorry, I don't do Mackers. It's just, it's a, it's a brilliant show. And sweet, yeah. sweet-natured in a way that, yes. that Canadian... I, you just, I just always think Canada's a better place. The people are better. <laughs> they just, 
they, there's something more, I don't know, there, there's something more wholesome about it, more, more purer. I don't Which know what it is. why I say Strange Brew is still You're right. one of the best. <laughs> Pat, uh, thank you so, so much for joining us. For oh, this. Are you kidding? This has been so delicious. I really, uh, I love being with you guys, and I and I love the discussion. And I have now I have a, a two sides <laughs> of my card uh, full of uh, of uh, movies I will uh, I'll watch, and I'll be uh, I'll be thinking, and I'll be listening uh, as time goes on for more of your uh, of your uh, wisdom oh. about uh, uh, about movies. Uh, it's been just delightful to be uh, with all of you. Thank you, Pat. Thanks so much for your support of the podcast and for Hudson Valley Shakespeare. Yep. Yeah. Thank you so, so yeah. much. Can't wait to see you live yeah. and in person again and hopefully perform yeah, for you live I and in know. person again soon. I know. So I need that hug. Yeah. Thank you so much. Again, everyone, uh, our guest, Pat King, also goes by the pen name Anna Maria Alfieri. She is a prolific author, and you can find out more uh, about her work at www.annamariaalfieri.com. Thank you so, so much to our special guest, Pat King. Uh, next week, we return with a look back at April 7th, 1989. And that weekend's three major releases, including Dead Calm, starring Sam Neill, Nicole Kidman, and Billy Zane. Major League, starring Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger, and L.A. Law's Corbin Burnson. <laughs> and... The Dream Team, starring Michael Keaton, Peter Boyle, and Christopher Lloyd. Dan. Yes. What you got for us? <gasps> uh, How are you going to take it out? Oh, snap. I think I have to attempt, at Fred's request, I have to attempt that Bare Naked Ladies song. Oh, and, good but I, think I think so. I think that the, my favorite moment in 10 Things I Hate About You is when Heath Ledger sings, uh, Yeah. I love you, baby, that song. But, so, but we'll attempt the one week song. And Great. watch that crash. A medley. And yeah. Then, is, it, is this our first uh, manualist medley? Oh, no. He's done a few. I feel, oh, like, yeah? okay. a I feel like I've done a couple, but I can't remember them. How's that? Good. That I was, was, I was transported back to the nineties. Oh, man, now we're about to bing ding and about to ding ding. Oh, no, oh, no, it was great. It was like an actual bare naked lady farted that in front of us. It was beautiful. Beautiful. All right, let's do a little. Now, who's singing? This is, this is, uh, this is the Four Seasons, right? Four Seasons? Yeah. Little Four Seasons. Frankie Valley. Yeah. No, actually, it wasn't the Four Seasons. This is Frankie Valley solo. Oh, was it? Okay. I believe. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Right, it was Heath Ledger. In my book, it was just Heath Ledger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Doing it.
repeats. Oh my God. Ladies and gentlemen, our very own Jersey boy. Yeah. Dan, the manualist Matisse. That is, that is a golden Sheila front runner right there. That was impressive. Thank you. Thank you. Impressive. I'm going to go ice my hands. (laughs) Yes. Once more. (laughs) Once more. Into the breach. Oh, you bring it back to the shakes. Bring it back. Bring it back. Uh, That's what we do here. See you next week, everybody. The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 